You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy with, of course, Kylie. Hello, hello. And we've got another guest today. We've got a lot of guests lately, really enjoying all the guests. We have Declan. Hello. Hello, Declan. Now, Declan, you have not been on the Green Dragon before, so I want you to say a little bit about yourself for the listeners. Oh, sure thing. I've been, well, I'm uh, from Wellington, New Zealand, and so I've been obviously native to watching the films uh, since I was very young. I've started playing the game at about six when I saw the Battle Games in Middle Earth magazine in a news agency, and I asked Dad, oh, can I have that? And he said, no. <laughs> but thankful- <laughs> thankfully, we went to, when it, we then went on holiday, stayed with some friends, and, you know, their um, children had the magazines, and I got to, you know, have a good look at the game, and, and um, they even gave me some magazines and, you know, a couple of models. So I went home, found my games workshop, and I've been going there, you know, ever since, and that's been, oh, gosh, a lot of years now, about 17 years. Oh, fantastic. That's the classic dealer move, isn't it? The uh, Yeah, we'll yes. just throw you some... some cheap magazines and, and get you hooked. So many people got in on those magazines. That must have been a really good idea. Oh, no, they're amazing, yeah. Because a lot of people returning to the game who got into the game off the magazines, dropped off when we had our, our lull period of about, you know, two, three years, and then have come back because, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a hobby in their middle age. I know, and then they've still got all those models from the early magazines. I know, and some of them are really hard to find these days too, so... Yeah. yeah, well, they sort of are, they sort of are, and they aren't because you know you get people saying, "Oh, but those aren't on the um on the website." You say, "Oh no, but there were you know thousands of them made back in the day, and they're just really easy to find on sort of eBay and or cheap and job lots." So, yeah, absolutely. I'm the worst of that because I I still like remember those days quite well, and I assume that those ones that were around then that were really common were were uh, are still around. Like uh, the one that I was looking at recently, I converted up all my Rohan. Uh, banner bearers that the, the battle games in middle earth had the the rohan royal guard with the long spear so you can put a banner on it and i was looking oh, yes. through my collection trying to find one of those and i realized i turned them all into throwing spear guys because they were so common at the time they were a cheap way of getting royal guard and oh thinking, no uh-oh i kind of want one of those back so it's easy enough to do i just get some rod and, and convert it myself but yeah it's funny how that sort of stuff that was was worthless and common at the time has now become something quite collectible mm, yeah so today, listener, we are looking at one of my favourites and one of Declan's favourites and one of Kylie's oh, uh, yes. least favourite armies, the Azog's I Legion. I wouldn't say least favourite, probably in the, you know, bottom ten. Oh, I've seen you play, I've played against you with my Azog Legion and the face that you pull when I when I get to move Bolg or Azog or all that around is is quite enjoyable from my side, so... No, no, I, I'm being a bit bit silly about that. It's it's a it's a unique army. It's a, a fun army. It's part of the the evil trifecta of Azog's legions, Azog's hunters, and the the army of Dolgodor, the dark powers of Dolgodor, which have this green alliance, which is pretty rare in the evil armies to have a green alliance triangle. So it's it's almost one big army list, but it's got so much in it. We're covering it in three parts. So this is the Azog legions part, which is the the war beasts, the the big fighters, and the the elite infantry. So we're going to start with, of course, Know Thine Enemy. Uh, 
Azog's Legion. Marching upon the kingdoms of Erebor and Dale, Azog's legions spill forth from the cesspits of Dol Guldur, eager for the sound of battle and the taste of blood. As the bitter rivalry between the feuding elves and dwarves comes to a head, Azog unleashes his legions upon his unsuspecting enemies, the giant weirworms that lay beneath the plains of Erebor, providing passage for Azog's vast legions of orcs and other foul creatures. From atop his signal tower, Azog can observe the ever-changing ebb and flow of the battle that rages on beneath him, allowing him to use tactical mind to react to the battle as it changes. Using his signal tower, Azog commands his forces with a combination of banners and horns, alerting his troops to a change in tactics or to execute a specific maneuver. The bulk of Azog's armies are made up of vicious orcs from Dol Guldur and Gundabad. Clad in thick crude armour, these orcs are veterans of many wars with the dwarves and elves, the hatred of their races still etched into their brains. Desperate to spill the blood of their most bitter enemies, these orcs are unleashed upon the ranks of dwarves, men and elves, intent on destroying every single one of them. It is not just orcs that Azog commands, he also has a host of fearsome war beasts at his disposal. Huge trolls march forth from Gundabad, armed with crude wooden clubs or sharpened gauntlets used to cleave through enemy ranks with frightening ease. Some of the trolls are so large they can be fitted with a whole catapult upon their back. It is these that Azog uses to smash through the walls of Dale, allowing his warriors to flood the city. Although not as big as the trolls, ogres are an imposing threat, smashing aside dwarves and men in order to bring death to Azog's enemies. From the north, a second army approaches. Bolg has ridden to Mount Gundabad in order to bring forth the vast legions that lie within the fortress's iron walls. Alongside numerous Gundabad orc warriors run the Gundabad berserkers, hulking orcs wielding brutal and wicked-looking weapons. Warbats flocked from the caves of the mountains. These dread creatures have been bred specifically for war, and their razor-sharp talons will see to the deaths of dwarves and elves alike. It is these forces that Azog believes will secure a bloody and decisive victory allowing for the Kingdom of Agmar to rise again and bring terror back to the north, as well as letting the Pale Orc finally settle an old score and erase the line of Durin for good. Know thine enemy! So we're going to start with the biggest, the baddest, the, the most controversial perhaps, the, the, the most liked, the most loved, the cutest Orc of all, Azog. Declan, can you take us through Azog? I certainly can, Jeremy. So we've got Azog. He is 165 points. He is a hero of legend. His keywords are Orc, Gundabad, Infantry, Hero. Of course, he has a move of 6, a fight value of 7 slash 5 plus, which isn't really relevant, but uh, strength of 5, defense of 5, and attacks of 3, 3 wounds, courage 5, 3 might, 3 will, and only 1 fate. Mm, yeah, that one war- fate. Uh, yes. His war gear is a sword and mace. Uh, presumably the sword is the one that's actually physically attached to his arm. Heroic actions are heroic march, heroic strike, heroic strength, and heroic challenge. The options that he has are the signal tower for 200 points, mm. a very hefty upgrade, yeah. <laughs> the white wag for 50, the stone flail for 20, and the heavy armor for just 10. Yes, yes. Pretty good options, especially the last three. The first one, uh, I'm not so sure about that. We'll talk at length about that, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll have a look. So the stone flail uh, is a two-handed weapon that follows the normal rules for flails with the following exceptions. When fighting with the stone flail, 
Azog's fight value is reduced to 6 slash 5. Azog does not reduce his fight value for using the World Special Strike. Additionally, wounds inflicted by the Stone Flail cause not one wound, but D3 wounds instead. You know, and you determine the number of wounds after fate points are used. And any model that is struck but not slain is knocked prone. Mm, yeah. Pretty solid. Oh, I didn't realize it knocked prone as well. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really kinda, good. That's some, uh, that's some handy tech. Especially when you're on foot, yeah. Yeah, that's where so, it really shines. When you're on foot and you're, it's the heroes are trying to gang up on you. Awesome. So the um, special rules, he is um, Burly, and he has Gen- General of the North, uh, which he has a stand fast of 12 inches that, unlike other heroes, stand fast can affect orc hero models. Then I am the Master. When rolling to wound an enemy hero after winning a fight, Azog never needs to roll more than a 3-plus to score a wound, regardless of their defense. Yeah, and wasn't that FAQ to be always a 3-plus, isn't it? So you don't get uh, burly bonuses or anything like that, I don't think. I don't think you can with this guy anyway. But there was Yeah, I'm pretty bit... sure it is, yeah. Oh, I think you can get the... Um, you could technically go down to a 2, I mean, if it were possible, with the um, the stone flower because it's a two-handed weapon. Oh, oh yeah, it is two, two, a two-handed weapon. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe that was FAQ, maybe it wasn't. I'm not entirely sure about that one. I hope it was. I hope it is able to go to a 2 because... You do you do lower your fight value, which is pretty significant to go down from a seven, which is amazing, to a six, which is very good. Mm. Yeah, and you've got you've got the classic heroic actions. Interestingly enough, um, march is one of those handy ones that that we always talk about in the, the podcast that you need a march in your army somewhere. Azok has that built in, which is he's probably not the guy you want to be calling a march with, but it's great to have that. It's great to have a strike always. Strength, uh, strength is strength. Like, he's strength five already, so going to seven might have some corner case uses when, you, when you're dealing with some big stuff. Uh, heroic challenge, and once again, he's a hero of legend. If anyone can challenge, he can definitely challenge, but who's going to accept against Azog? I wouldn't. No, and I think there's very few models in the game that are going to accept a challenge against Azog. Mm. No, no, well, no three plus to wound. Ugh. I, I could see a Sauron, though, turning around and challenging Azog. Oh, that'll be scary. He's a 12-inch standfast, but uh, that is a very corner case of corner cases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, l- listeners, uh, let us know if that happens. That actually sounds kind of cool. So we're going to move on. Uh, Declan, we've got... Well, let's go for the White Warg first. So over the page, we've got two big, big profile upgrades. So just on his own as an infantry model, you've got a pretty beefy hero, one that looks absolutely good on, on foot. Uh, looks like he can do his job. He's got very high fight value. He's got good strength. He's got the two-handed weapon if you pay the extra 20 points, which is which is a hefty cost, but it's pretty good in all the abilities it has. He's got a good profile overall, but then you, you put him on a WAG, and this is where he really shines. Absolutely, yes. So with the White WAG, who is a WAG infantry hero, he has a... Oh, she, she rather, actually. I think she's a um the WAG matriarch, as she's listed in the um, Chronicles books. Ooh, cool. Um, move yeah. 10. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, move 10, uh, fight 5, slash 5 plus, strength 5, defense 5, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 4, 3 might, 1 will, and 1 fate. She has claws and teeth. Special rules are fell sight and terror. And first special rule, another special rule is deadly union. As long as Azog is mounted upon the white wag, you can expend either Azog or the white wag's store of might, will, and fate as if they shared the same profile, although you should still mark down which of the two actually expended each point? Yeah, that one, people people tend to get very annoyed about that one. I've heard lots of comments, and I know Lachlan from the, the Zorp Zorp has got a bit of a, a grudge against Azog, and they always complain about this. I don't think he complains too much about Rohan heroes that have the same ability, but basically no. uh, you get a huge might, will, fate store 
between that that basically it's one model while it's well it's one model but you've got to choose whether you, you spend the warg or azogs might will fate and sometimes you can get it wrong and then end up losing a whole chunk of it uh cheaply so yeah it's a it's a really good rule but also takes some thinking more so than some of the others absolutely yes then we have Packmaster. Once separated from Azog, only Warg models may use the White Warg Standfast rule or benefits from its heroic actions, which I suppose only really matters in the um, Azog's Hunters list. Yeah, it's not really for this list unless you've got some, some clever allies. Mm. Uh, then finally, there's uh, Raging Beast. When Azog dismounts, the White Warg automatically passes its Courage Test to stand fight. Additionally, it will pass all Courage Tests for the rest of the battle. That is an amazing rule, and I've used that to, to great effect. Yeah, basically, cool. basically, it's a fearless wag, which is which is huge because they're um and when he dismounts with Felsite too. Yeah, it's got Felsite, and you've got a good profile. Like fight five is is good. Two attacks is pretty mm-hmm. good. Strength five is good. It's it's almost like what a a wag chieftain should have been. I feel like it's just it's really scary wag. Absolutely, speak- I've oh sorry. I've always been a little disappointed that you can't take the white wag on her own in, say, an Angmar list or just any list with a lot of different wags and wag chieftains, because I think that would be really cool. I agree. I think it would be really cool as a separate model. Note that, that the, the white wag has the terror, and Azog does not. So that's one yes. that, that people will get surprised about sometimes when they, they go to take their courage test to charge Azog, and you just say, no, he's got, he's got no terror. He's one of the most terrifying-looking models in the game. He's, <laughs> he's pretty scary. But he... Um, Clearly not that scary, so he doesn't cause terror himself. The Warg has the terror, so if you split them up, you lose your terror. Right, yeah, and that's really relevant when you um when you factor in Bolg's Harbinger of Evil that he may or may not get. Yes, absolutely it is, if, if you're taking both of them, which is a, a fairly fairly hefty investment, which is a good investment, but it's a, it's, it's a lot of your army. Now, speaking of a lot of your army, we have probably one of the biggest investments in war gear in the game. Kylie, is there any war gear that costs more than 200 points in the game? No, no, no. Oh. The closest I can think of would be the upgrades for the dragon at fifty points each. Declan's got something. What are you? What are you thinking? Oh, I've um the chariot, the Iron Hills uh, chariot with the champions of Erebor. I don't know if that counts as a um. Oh. Yeah. No, I think you're oh, right. I think the, I think the champions are the upgrade, aren't they? <laughs> they're they're like yes. three hundred twenty. So I thought they were their own profile. Are they not their own profile? I uh no, I believe they're technically an upgrade to the um the chariot itself that would probably be the only thing that even come close to it but yeah absolutely if that is an upgrade at 325 points yeah it's an upgrade that's yeah. really weird oh okay. well done yep there we go okay so this is this this seems cheap compared to that well what a bargain oh so, it really does so for the low low price of 200 points what do we get declan all right so the signal tower consists of four major parts the banner of Dolguldor, the largest and most imposing banner upon the tower then the banner of Gundabad, the two-pronged banner located to the right of the tower, the banner of Angmar, the central stationary banner, and the horn of Gorgoroth, the giant horn. Now, we just all have to just picture this in our minds. Picture this in our minds because we don't yet have the model, and I don't know when we're going to get the model, and I would really like to get the model. Yeah, we can The signal tower... Oh, sorry. We can sort of see a picture on the page that it's on in the book, and you can... I get the idea of it. Like, there's, It looks like there's those big kites in the middle, and then there's a little cross banner around, and there's a horn right to the extreme right in the picture. So, um, But it's on a whole mountain, so I don't know if you need to use the whole mountain or if it's just the the very top of it. It's a bit confusing. Yeah, I think that's really where the ambiguity comes in with the model. Mm. Anyways, the signal tower also comes with seven of Azog's lieutenants armed with swords to man the tower. These lieutenants do not count as part of Azog's warband and may not lead troops. So we've got another profile in here as well. Yeah, Azog's lieutenants, 
Orc Gundabad Infantry Hero. Move 6, Fight 4 slash 5, Strength 4, Defense 5, 1 Attack, 1 Wound, Courage 4, and then a point of Might, Will, and Fate. Uh, the war gear, heavy armor and sword, heroic actions, heroic march, special rules, ancient enemies, dwarf, ancient enemies, elf, which for some reason Azok doesn't have, although that would make him just <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So basically what you're telling me is an Azog lieutenant is what happens if you cross a Dunadai with a Gunabad orc. Correct. Absolutely. Okay, got it. I Although wish this probably- profile was, was purchasable separately. I would love to be able mm-hmm. to get access to this profile and just have it even as a minor hero. And just have yeah, minor hero that'd be good. You know? I reckon an independent would be really cool. So you can like bolt them on to other like Captain and Bolg or Azog warbands. It's just like this uh, handy little extra point of might and march for your warbands. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Oh, really that would cool. be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, and... that's that's right. This, but you have to bolt seven of them on to, to Azog if you take them. Mm. Although, given the um, given the extra buffs we're about to read about, uh, they almost feel like they're free. Yeah, they do a bit. Yeah. So, the um, signal tower. The, the tower is placed before the battle commences, allowing for Azog to command his troops effectively from the start of the battle. Before deployment, but after players have decided on their board edges, the controlling player may place the signal tower plus seven of Azog's lieutenants anywhere on the battlefield. The signal tower may not be subsequently moved. Note, the lieutenant must be deployed on the signal tower. So mm. I suppose that also has the advantage of you know being able to put a big piece of terrain down on the table to, you know, change the battlefield a little bit and um yeah especially after they've decided on their board edges that could be really significant yeah you can do some sneaky stuff with there i just can imagine something like a um a storm the camp where you basically put it right right near someone else's camp or a um <laughs> a uh, well, like a reconnoiter or something like that where it ends up being like closer to the lieutenants could just leg it out of there i don't know if they can leave yes. it though can they oh no maybe they can no they can't leave they can leave. Yeah. They have to start with it, but they can they can duck out. So you could do some clever stuff there. I also can imagine like one of those like get to the middle scenarios where you just plunk it right down on the middle and you have your your signal tower there. And that's where it's a bit concerning. Like we don't know if it's a tower or if it's just like a like a, a coaster or something like that with some flags on it. Because if it's a if it's a castle, you've got like seven guys in a little castle essentially, which would be really mm-hmm. tough. So that to could move. be quite yeah, awesome. So it must always be manned. Any of Azog's lieutenants may man a part of the signal tower. To do this, they must be in base contact with the part they wish to man. Whilst manned, each part of the signal tower has a different effect, as follows. The banner of Dolgaldor. All friendly Gundabad models on the battlefield count themselves as being in range of a banner. Yep. And Jeremy, you've always said how good banners are. I have, I have. This is by far the best one in the, the of all the banners. This is the, if you only have one <laughs> lieutenant left, if they've all been sniped out by Legolas, this is the one I'm holding at the end of it. That, that banner field... Battle-wide battle banners are incredible. So that's that's really, really good. That's like the Moria drum sort of effect, but the whole battlefield. Hmm. Uh, I 100% agree, Jeremy. That is the most stupid part of the single tower. And then we have the banner of Gundabad. All friendly Gundabad hero models on the battlefield may declare heroic marches without reducing their store of might. Very good early game. Very... Uh, not so good late game. This is one that you're probably using so you can get your guys to the signal tower. So everyone's calling marches at the start of the game to run to the signal tower. In movement scenarios, it's going to be pretty good, actually, because you can set up your tower uh, near your objectives already and then just march the rest of your army there as soon as possible. So that's a pretty good one. Late game becomes almost worthless. It's especially good given that all the heroes in this army list do have heroic march as well. Yes, yes, Absolutely. 
So that's the, yeah. That does that's a really good job. Uh, interestingly enough, the lieutenants could the three of them that aren't Manning could like leg it out of there with heroic marches as well. You can do all kinds of interesting things. Yeah, especially if you weren't worried about shooting. Yeah, which all right. Not. Then we have the. I, I would argue you probably could march four of them away from that uh, from the signal towers. You probably don't need all four uh, kind of banners and horns and and all the probably. things going on there active at once. I mean, do you really need the banner when you're not in combat? You could easily have the guy manning the banner jump over to the to the marching one. Then, once you get close enough, you could switch him back to the banner and get rid of the marching uh, effect. That's a really good point. Yeah, I like that. I like that, but I feel like that's a little bit risky depending on your opponent. Because the one thing I notice about these lieutenants is that yes, they have a fate, but they have defense five, which means that they're they're definitely that strength three archery target for this army. And because they're probably hanging out like ahead of the rest of the army, I reckon you're going to lose a couple to shooting early on. Mm. All right. So the banner of Angmar. Whenever a, su- a friendly Gundabad model on the battlefield suffers a wound, ro- a wound. Roll a d6. On the roll of a natural 6, the wound is ignored, exactly as if a point of fate had been spent. Note that this supersedes other rules that confer similar effects, e.g. fury. Yeah, it's a nice little bonus. Mm, it's it is, it's handy. Yeah, it's, it's alright. Especially, especially for your heroes, because they're able to, you know, maybe shrug off an extra couple of wounds here and there, or if you're someone like Azog, you know, and you're about to be hit by something big and nasty like an eagle or a thorn with uh, Orcarist, you could use that that rule to plus some might to, you know, shrug off a, an otherwise fatal wound. Mm. It does have some really interesting interplay with the Gundabad Berserkers, which we're going to get to later. Okay, well, we'll get to that later on. Uh, the next one. Awesome. So the Horn of Gorgoroth counts as a war horn. Additionally, all enemy models on the battlefield suffer minus one to their courage value. Note that this is not cumulative with other rules that confer similar penalties. I love this one. I love this one so much. Counts as a warhorn. You don't have any fury in this army, so it's got EG fury. It's like, that's such a tease on the last one because there's no fury in this army. Spoiler alert. But to be able to get one plus courage on, like, like most of your troops are actually pretty good courage already. Getting one plus courage is great, and then the neg one courage is also really, really good. So this is my second favorite one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to that banner of Dol Guldur when I'm in combat with it that battle-wide one, but I'm definitely making sure towards the end game I've got a horn of Gorgoroth around because that is... I reckon that's one of the reasons you buy this. That's a good war horn. Mm, absolutely. And it's uh, the two of them together, they sort of make up the effect of the Moria Goblin drum. Yes, yes. And that's what's that's like 80-something points, isn't it? 75 points or so? Yeah. 75, yeah. So that's... that's You're starting to see this is not... Maybe it's got some decent value to it. Like, for 200 points... That might not be too far too far off the mark. You're getting a lot of bonuses and a lot of things going on, uh, and we've also got some special rules as well. Well, if you look at just the Azog's lieutenants, just as a straight up kind of part of that purchase, say you're paying the the, the 200 points for the lieutenants. Like, if you kind of compare them to what a Dunedain is costing, a Dunedain is 25 points. You're basically looking at 175 points. Yeah, you're a bit shy, but it's basically 175 points for for the lieutenants, and you're getting all this extra stuff for free. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a direct correlation, though, because they're significantly worse than the Dunedain because of the fight value and the. Oh no, the Dunedain are fight four, aren't they? Dunedain yeah, Dunedain fight four. Okay, yeah. so so no, no, I, I take that back a little bit. Um, it's what courage and a bow is basically the difference. So mm. that's 
That's yeah, you're right. Uh, the defense as well. Defense. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Dunedin. Yeah, the Dunedin are defense four for twenty five points, and yeah. the Rangers of the North are thirty points for the defense five. And the two attacks though sometimes when yeah. they're on four. Yeah. So you're trading a defense for the bow, and you're swapping accuracy for March. So you know. Yeah. 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 Fair. Fair enough. Fair call. It's not bad. Yeah. Cool. So then we have summoning of the hosts. If the signal tower is taken as an upgrade for Azog, then 24 warriors may be deployed in Azog's warband rather than 18. These may deploy within 12 inches of Azog rather than the usual six. Fantastic. I really like that rule oh, because it's, so good. it's it's such a costly upgrade that you may actually potentially run an army where Azog's your only technical hero because you've got like seven lieutenants as well. So you may not purchase anything else. So 24 warriors may be included. That's fantastic. And it doesn't specify that they have to be Gundabad warriors or anything like that. So you could mm. still, those warriors could be anything from the warrior profile. So you could uh, you could do some clever stuff there. So it may be, especially at that sort of tournament level, that 750 level, you may be only taking one warband of 24 models, which might be enough because you've got the 24 plus the eight heroes. That's that's not a terrible amount. Um, I really do like the extra range for the deployment as well. I feel like it gives you lots of options for little scout forces and lots of options for flanks and all that sort of stuff. So 12 inches, I think that's... I wish that it was on more heroes, some of that that changed the difference of it, because I feel yeah. like that could be really cool. Especially mm. like some of the, the Rohan or cavalry heroes, like uh, Imrahil or uh, Thaden, it would be very handy, because... With the six-inch bubble, you're very congested when you have cab models. You're like you can't quite get them all into that bubble, like especially if you're deploying on like the, the front line, such as in you know uh, domination or whatever, what have you, where you're deploying up close. You want to be you know as close to that six-inch mark as possible. Having that extra six inches either side will be invaluable. I reckon it'd be cool on those ranger type heroes, like the um uh, like. Damrod or uh, those type ones to be able to split up and be be really tricky with them. I think those uh, those sort of like even the uh, Dunedain. I don't think they they they're the right ones, but like um uh, what's it Arathorn or someone like that. I think would be really cool to have that rule. I think yeah, so. yeah. And the final one, the final one. Yes, destroying the signal tower. Each part of the tower has a defense value of ten with three wounds, and each is considered a separate battlefield target. Additionally, if each if an enemy model spends a full turn in base contact with any part of the signal tower without doing anything else, i.e. not shooting, using magical powers, or fighting in combat, then that part of the signal tower is disabled and its effect is lost. So I'm going to assume that's exactly like siege weapons where you have to start like before priority rolls and you have to spend the entire turn. So you get there the previous turn and then you have to spend the entire turn priority, movement, shooting, combat, end phase, and then you do that like, like it is with siege weapons now that they made clear. Yeah. It certainly makes you grateful that you have some might close to the tower because then you can sort of move in and stop that happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you're not going to want to do this with just a handful of guys because you've got potentially, well, up to up to seven lieutenants hanging around it. I can see you wanting to do it early on, especially if you overextend where you've deployed the signal tower. Someone might decide to just, let's run all my cavalry at it. Let's absolutely swamp it. We'll we'll get someone. They might die to the to the lieutenant. But their their friend might be able to destroy, say, the banner of Dolgal Door. So you've destroyed that. That would be worth sending three or four guys on a mission to do that. Just got to watch out for those heroic combats with the lieutenants, because if they get a couple of them into combat with a guy and then able able to call that one, could be uh, could be really annoying because they they don't have a huge amount of things they can do with the might if they're hanging around the tower. And that's one thing they can do. They can definitely defend the tower. Absolutely, yeah. 
And it's a, a battlefield target with defensive 10 and 3 wounds. So you could be at risk of like siege weapons potentially as well. They might be able to do some damage to you if they get a hit. It might be easy to direct the hit somewhere else with it. But yeah, because it's not a siege target. It's only a battlefield target. Which, because of that, because it's a battlefield target, that lends me to believe it doesn't come with anything else but the coaster. Like it's just literally, like if you look at the picture, it's just those banners. I feel like that's probably what they've envisioned for it. And then the rest of it, that big hill is just the terrain that's on your board and just where you place it. Because I can't imagine it like having walls or anything like that or having like those um, basically defendable walls. It looks like on the picture, it looks like you could uh, you could sit at the top of that and push people down the, down the wall. Uh, I, I was kind of envisioning something slightly different, maybe a hybrid of the, of, uh, of the two, maybe like a little tiny bit of the cutout of the Ruins. Ruin. So it's kind of, Elevated a little bit, but not totally. So you've got some um, room room to kind of model with it, but it's still being on like a, a secure base, like a um, kind of like how Guahir and, and crew, ha, the, the new Guahir, the Forge one, is on a modelled base, or how Thranduil has the, the the base that goes around him. I, I would I would see it as something like that, where there's you know modelling opportunities and and having a bit more around the base that's actually molded into it. Yeah, yeah. And we don't even know what size base it is. And I know that there was a scenario where that you can sort of um, extrapolate the size of it. But my guess would be the scenario they've just estimated the size of the circle anyway and someone's just grabbed a circle in whatever program they're using to generate the maps and just threw it on there. I don't think it's going to be exactly right. So that's the Battle of Five Army scenario, page 152 of the Hobbit book. So I just don't know how big this tower is. I feel like on that scenario, it probably wouldn't matter how big it is because it's it's not set up near the, the good guys at all. And it just, just hangs around there and does effects. But I feel like it's going to matter in a game. And I think how you model it will definitely change its effectiveness. So if it has some defensive ability, if you're able to, to use the terrain to your advantage, it could be really, really lethal. Um, it could also be quite rubbish if it's got not even any in the ways, for example. Like if it's just all clear shots and someone can just go and shoot out these lieutenants pretty easily. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I, I I must admit, I haven't played a lot with this. Declan, have you played with this one? I haven't, no. I'm um, putting together this, you know, the big uh, six by four battle of the five army scenario and trying to sort of paint everything up for that at some point. But um, yeah, I haven't even sort of begun to think about how I'm going to, you know, approach the signal tower. What's and I'm probably I probably am going to have it be on something quite flat just to yeah just so I don't it doesn't end up becoming its own little fortress. Yeah, I think I might want to play it with some friendly games first and just see what happens with it, and and then um, probably have to chat to some event organizers about what we've discovered with it because it just it feels like it's missing some some real descriptions of it. Like it just says it's got four major parts, and and with no base size, banners are easy enough to make. People can make it. But uh, I just I just wish they would release a model for this one. I, out of all the stuff they haven't released, I wish this was a model that they released because it's just a cool-looking thing. It's got lots of banners. If someone wanted to grab the banners and use them for something else, I'm sure they could as well. Uh, you throw one on the back of a Mulmak or something like that, and you get some really cool-looking stuff going. But I'm not convinced that this is the best value purchase. I'm not sure how you would uh, put Azog as well. I feel like, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you can give him the White Wag and the Signal Tower as well, which is, is an interesting combination. I believe you can, yes. Mm, yeah, I don't see why you can even just give him the whole kitchen sink for what is that, a whopping 280 points uh, in addition to his 165? Yeah, it's a, a fair chunk of points. You're looking at uh, over 400, almost 500 points. So, yeah, yeah a good amount. Yeah. Yep. That's it. I think the summoning of the host, the, the, the ability to really macro out... Uh, 
Azog's warband and get up to that 24 warriors, I think is going to be critical in taking the siege, sorry, not the siege tower, the, the signal tower. And honestly, I feel like it might even be worth in even lower points games to just take him and the signal tower and just, you know, spam out 24, you know, good to bad warriors on the cheap or possibly even mercenary, couple of mercenaries, because it's, 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 it's pretty handy having a warband of 24. Yeah, and there's a lot of might suddenly because you've got six on Azog potentially if you want to take the Warg, which you, you do. Like like if you unless you're going for full theme, you're probably going to take the Warg, I imagine. Um, and then like another seven points, you, you're looking at, at thirteen points of might. Yes, it's one technically one profile that you're buying, but the signal towers it's almost a different model entirely. Like yes, you need Azog, but it feels like it's almost a different model that, that should just say if you buy Azog, you can get this as well. Like it's. It's kind of weird because the only thing it gives to Azog is the extra, the larger warband, which is cool. But everything else, it basically, it's just it's its own model. It's acting in its own way. It's a bit of terrain essentially with with three banners, which count as banners now for banner scenarios. So you want to keep them alive. Three banners and a horn. Three banners and a horn is is pretty like if you're thinking about the the whole battle wide effect, that's pretty good. Like that's worth way more than twenty five points for a normal banner. You wouldn't buy any more banners at that point. You've got three on the model. You don't need another one in your whole army, so you don't bother with that. You're always paying that twenty five point tax anyway. I don't. Yeah, I feel like I want to kind of run it, but I might have to, to convert one up, put it together. Maybe someone's got a three D printing file for it or something somewhere I can find. But it, it's it's interesting. Me, it, it intrigues me. Mm. I would love to have a game against it too because I, I think there's a lot more hidden potential in it than we, we can kind of see on paper. It's one of those things that there's so many like hidden variables or variables you can't really extrapolate until you see it on the table. And with Azog, you know, commanding so much respect on the table, whether he's on the white wild or not, it'll be interesting to see how the two uh, kind of, I guess, integrate with each other during a game. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. But yeah, the whole whole Azog profile, like if you like Azog, this is the army list for you because he's he's got a lot of options and he's he's every time I've taken him, he's been absolutely worth it. He's the kind of guy that can look at a hero, even the best of best heroes like a Gandalf, and take them out on one charge, like like pretty much effortlessly. Um the only thing he doesn't like taking on is um like I found is things like eagles and, and monsters that aren't named. So they aren't the the hero monsters. So like if I'm taking on an Ent army, he loves Treebeard but hates the, the normal Ents. And if I'm taking on an Eagle army, he loves Guar here but hates the other Eagles. So a very mm. interesting idea that, that he's a much better hero killer than he is a troop killer. I'm actually a little surprised that they didn't give him, you know, maybe get rid of I Am The Master and give him Blood and Glory because just his MO is he goes and he hunts down heroes. He hunts down the line of Durin. Well, I don't know. I've seen I've seen how good Gilgalad is and how much more prevalence oh. Gilgalad has in the game. And I'll tell you what, I do not want to see a strength <laughs> five Azog with a two-handed weapon with blood and glory running around the table with five seven. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. I kind of do because I have the Azog model. So I, <laughs> I agree with Declan. I think that's a great idea. But you almost <laughs> get it anyway. You've got an army bonus, which you're pretty much getting if you take Azog because I can't imagine you're fitting much, much yellow allies in with this army list, quite frankly. You've got the army bonus of let the legions come forth. So if either Azog or Bolg is the leader of your force, so that's changed. They have to be the leader of your force. It has to be either one of those. can't be your normal captains. Then they gain the master of battle special rule, which in reality means that People don't call heroics around them except for strikes because they, they, they need to call their strikes to survive against these fight seven beasts. And then 
you get the free strike as well, which is so, so nice. It saves so much points of might. So it might as well just say if the enemy strikes, you get it for free because that's what I've, I don't know about you, Declan, but that's what it always seems to, to come out. People don't call heroic moves around as Ogle Bolg, but they, they love to call the strikes whenever I charge them. So at the start of a t- at the start of a turn, if Azog, you know, wins priority, the opponent's going to be calling a heroic move, and you know, if you've set him up right, he's going to get a chance at um, you know, mastering a battle that and actually get to go first. Yeah, more than a chance. It's a it's a master battle special, isn't it? So it's not even on a, like a five plus or anything, isn't it? I think it's just the automatic one. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. So it's basically you turn into a roll off, which which is usually why people, um, unless they absolutely have to, they know they're gonna gonna die. That it's almost the army that the um one of the other. The other army list, the Azogs Hunters, really wants that rule because it's uh, there are a lot of like charge bonus ones. This army doesn't often care if you charge it. It's one of those armies that that can take a charge just as well as it can conditional out. Now you always prefer to be charging if you if you want to like that. That's really good. There's times when you want to move second to see what happens, but this army's yeah, it's not too fussed either way. So I do think it just makes those heroes just so good. And and there's that six points of might you could potentially get on Azog turns into a whole bunch more if you can take those cheap heroic moves or heroic strikes or pre- those are pretty much the ones. The heroic shoot's not going to do anything. The other ones aren't going to do much. You're not going to copy a challenge, I doubt. You could maybe, but <laughs> good luck with that one. But yeah, the rest of them are, are pretty solid. So that's an, that's an army bonus that I think it's actually one of the, the better army bonuses in the game. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Like Master of Battle, like we've been playing Gothmog for years and years and we know how good it's been. To be able to put it on someone that's even bruisier than Gothmog is is kind of insane. So to be able to have, you know, that special rule on such a powerful hero such as Azul, especially a hero um like Azlock who has the six points of might, the four will and the two fate wings on the log. The death touch ability he has of, of just going into a hero and going right all my all my might or a big portion of my might you're dead. Be able to do that with the kind of knowledge and safety net of knowing you've got the backup of master of battle, knowing you're not going to get bogged down. He he, he does what Boromir does, but better. <laughs> and that in and of itself is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, except he doesn't have terror. Yeah, but no wonder he always looks so confident. Yeah, yeah, he's got some swagger, doesn't he? I, I yeah, yes. and you know what? I've got the same swagger when I've put down Azog. Like, if, yeah. you put it down, and you're just like, you know what? Even if I lose this game, I really want it because you're going to be so scared the whole game and so panicked about this one model that I put down that it's going to be a, it's going to be fun either way. So I quite like it. I know a lot of people don't like him, and that's I think because they they're so terrified of him. I think he's probably appropriately costed. I don't think he's a bargain or anything like that. He he takes up so much of your army, but his his damage potential is just just second to none really well there's probably some things that can kill better than him but but someone that's that's that focused on killing heroes there's not a lot in the game i agree but we started with azog it's now time to move on to his son because as good as azog is i i reckon bog has the case to say that you know in certain circumstances he's better than an azog oh yeah go for it kylie let's see what he's got so so we got bulk he's 165 points his keywords are orc gundabad infantry and hero just like his dad and he is a hero of valor so just one small step down from being bad azog his war gear is heavy armor and two-handed pick and his stats are move six fight seven with a shoot value of five plus strength five defense seven three attacks three wounds and courage five he has three might, three will, and one fate. 
just to round things off. His heroic actions are March, Strike, Strength, and Challenge, so no surprises there. And his options are a Felwag and an Orc Bow. He also has a nice little kind of subtext underneath his options. If your army includes Bog, all Hunter Orcs and Hunter Orc Captains in your army gain the Morgul Arrow Special Rule, which is a handy little thing for taking down heroes, which I'll get into in a minute. His special rules, of course, are Ancient Enemies uh, for both Dwarves and Elves, and he also has Burly for that really nasty two-handed pick. So if you really need to get in and kill something, he can certainly do it for you. But finally, we come to his Hallmark special rule, which is the Bringer of Death. Mm. Every time every time that Bog slays an enemy model, take note of it. Once he has killed two or more enemies, he gains terror. Once he has killed five or more enemies, he gains the Harbinger of Evil special rule. And when he reaches a whopping ten kills, he gains the Mighty Hero special rule. So this, I am absolutely in love with this special rule, just like I, I kind of mentioned when uh, we were talking about the Keeper of the Dungeons. I think this is a really, really creative uh, special rule that they've included in the game. And honestly, as I said before, i love to see more of it. His final special rule is the Morgul Arrows. Uh, any model that suffers a wound from a model with this special rule and isn't slain, must roll a d6 at the start of each subsequent turn. On the roll of a 1, that model suffers a wound. So it's a little bit of a kind of tick damage, a bit of poison. Uh, Very similar, I think almost exactly the same as the old Morgul Blade special from way back when. So what do you guys think? Because I think this guy is absolutely insane. Uh, Look, this is one of my favorite models, so I'm going to let Declan talk first. Oh, sure. Well, um, back in the heady days of early 2016, I um, was, you know, brave or foolish enough, you take your pick, to pick up uh, 36 Gundabad Orcs and Bolg. And I ran that in a tournament in that year and um, got voted Best Army. I think it was just because, you know, people had never seen those models at a tournament before, but um, Bolg certainly did the work for me. He does something quite, you know, a little bit different to Arzok. He's quite similar, but certainly you do want him killing troops rather than going after heroes. I think that's, you know, the, one of the big differences between them. Ooh, okay. I disagree with some of that and I agree with some of it. He is the the budget price version of, of Azog. So you're paying, basically, you're probably going to buy the Felwar because that is an amazing upgrade for 10 points. Amazing. You used to not be able to do let's, that. Yeah, so let's good. be honest, Jeremy. You're taking the Felwar. You're not taking the Felwag, you should be taken out back and fed to a Felwag. <laughs> taking the Felwag, don't ever not take the Felwag. And if I see you not taking the Felwag, I'm going to find you in your sleep. Okay, so if you choose not to take the Felwag, it's probably going to be a theme choice more than a, than a competitive choice because it, it does so much. Even if you're just using it to move him in the place you want to be, that's phenomenal. But the fact that you've got Fel Sight on an assassin-type hero like this guy that you can just move fight seven means that if you put him behind a wall where someone can't see him, the whole, like, anyone with intentions that is fair game, he can rip through them, like, really, really easy. He's got that weird stretch wag with the, the long base, which is, I, that's an interesting choice. I'm not so sure about that one. I wish it was, like, the same as Azog's uh, base for the wag, maybe a 50 mil base with a big wag, but the the wag, you definitely buy the foul wag. Like, that, that's the competitive option. I choose not to buy the orc bow, and the reason is... You've got to shoot a 5+, plus, and the Morgul Arrows is really nice. Don't get me wrong. The Morgul Arrows is great. I would definitely buy it in an Azog's Hunter list, but in the Azog's Legion list, I do not want him 
taking shots. I, I want him maneuvering to a part where he can threaten someone. So I basically don't move him half speed. I move him at full speed or I keep him hidden entirely so he can't see anything. I don't want to be tempted to use that 5 plus shoot value. So I choose not to use it just so my focus is 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 absolute with Bolg. Because he if I use Bolg well, I'll win the game. Now that said, it's a good option for 5 points to be able to get more Galarios. is a really good option, but I don't want to be tempted to use that. So that's... That's an interesting one. Um, the bringer of death rule, getting two kills, easy. Terra, amazing. So good. Five kills, it happens. Maybe halfway through the game, you get that. Harbinger of evil, great rule. So good, especially for the end game. That's that's amazing. Ten or more models, I still haven't got to it. And I've used Bolg a lot. I've usually won the game by the time I've got to seven or eight kills. And that's because, unlike Declan, I'm using Bolg as a hero killer. I'll kill two heroes of Bolg a game, and then he's he's got his points back, essentially. Like... Uh, we, we named a tactic after him, just bulging, where basically you go into yes. you go into infantry, you call a heroic combat, and then the, the hero next to them either chooses to strike, at that point you just heroic combat into something else, or they choose not to, and then you go straight into them and take them down with bulg pretty effortlessly. And you do that, you've got three might, you do it a couple times a game, and that's enough. So um, I find that he is he's a really, really effective hero killer, because that, that native fight seven is better than almost every hero in the game, and he has strike if it's not. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I find that with Bulk, um, I actually have got to that 10 kills before and started using the Might. And um, one of the amazing things that happens seems to happen then is he's just able to keep bulking every turn. Yeah, you know, I want to get to it. I really do. What army were you facing when you got to it? I can't actually remember. It was a very long time ago. But, um, but yeah, just once you... Because you can technically get to that by turn three if you can engage on the first turn. And after that, you could just get the maximum use out of that free Might. Turns them into Aragorn. Yeah, I, I, I've had a lot of people theorize that as well, and I, in reality, I just don't see it happening that much. And I'm probably a little bit more precise with Bolg. I don't like to throw him in first turn because that's when I lose him because he's on that that stretch limo base. And if someone's really aggressive with heroic combats and that, they can often like Bolg Bolg, which is really embarrassing. Like if Bolg gets Bolged, then we're in trouble. I know that Matt famously Bolged Bolg with the Gilgalad. And um, yeah, it made me feel very sad. I lost him very early on when I was trying to go for those kills. I feel like going for two kills is pretty pretty good if you can do that and go for that a few turns and then maybe get excited later on. I just think that you don't want to throw all your might away too early because Bolg without might, yes, he's got the uh, potentially got the master battle, which is really good. Don't get me wrong, that, that's that's fantastic. But suddenly he's prone to botches then, and and he's yeah. nowhere near as powerful. I really want to hold on to that point of might. So I'm probably a little bit conservative with him. And I find that the rest of the army is so killy that they tend to kill things pretty quickly as well. Like, I, I don't find that my... Once combat's reached my, my Azog's Legion's army, one of the armies doesn't last very long, and it's usually the opponent. I, I have seen uh, him get to 10, 10 kills, and for the most part, I, I pretty much agree with you, Jeremy, that you're very rarely going to see him get to 10 kills against a competent player, but... Particularly against slow armies like dwarves and goblins, I think it is very, very possible to get to that 10 kills simply through uh, positioning and, more importantly, through mobility. Because one of the things I don't think we've really touched on is how useful that weird, wonky, elongated oval base can be. <laughs> simply simply for the fact that, one, you can get a, uh, a, a triple charge, which you can't get with a uh, with a circular base. And yep. two, two, you can do really funky things with the base where you can turn him on his side and gain lots, like control lots of um, 
lots of space on the ball. I think up to about three infantry bases, which can be really, really, really handy in the right circumstances. So against those kind of horde come at you with lots of dudes, armies, you know, hobbits, goblins, dwarves, as I said, you can do some fun things where you pivot around the side of your opponent's army, you engage with bog, and then you quickly churn yourself up to that magic, magic 10 kills. And it can be a really fun game to do it. I, I saw uh, I saw Matt do it against um, a dwarf army once, and it was uh, it was it was pretty juicy to watch. Yeah, no, look, it's like in all theory that that's all great. I still don't like the going into three guys or or even two guys and calling the heroic combat. I feel like that's it's it's prone to get those ones and twos, which is a bit of a risk. But he's he's very very offensive. Like to have Burley and the two handed pick is really nice. So you're fighting it at strength five, effectively strength seven. So most things you're wounding on a four plus or a three plus, and then you've got the the pierce potentially if you want to as well. You've got the built in mm. defensive seven. So even piercing on defensive seven is not the end of the world. Like you could still do it and still botch the one point of fate's a bit of a pain. Um, I feel like the only thing I'm too a bit scared of is if Bog loses a combat that. Falwag's gone, and then suddenly he's he's still really, really good, but he's not that dominant force that can can hit a hero from one side of the battlefield and then next to him be on the other flank hitting another hero. Which I suppose is a bit of the difference between Bog and Azog, whereas if Azog loses or gets dismounted off the White Wag or they get separated for whatever reason, he's still fairly formidable on foot because he still wins on the 3+, plus. but Bog... Can have a bit of trouble without the, being able to double up uh, with his strikes. It can it can hamper his ability to do wounds. Be simply for the fact if you go up against something that's defense eight or or uh, or higher, you know he's only wounding on fours and fives. And I know it doesn't seem like that a lot, uh, but that jump from you know four plus down to a three plus is actually quite significant. And being able to wound that. Easily is part of the reason why Azog is so, so, so feared, whereas Bold doesn't quite have the same luxury. Yeah, but I'll take Bolg over normal troopers any day. Like, he's just he's just really good. Because you, you get the bargain. You've got the two-handed weapon already. You don't even have to make a choice of it. You don't have to lower yourself to fight six of you using two-handed weapons. He, he's he's a machine. I, I I think we're all in agreement that he's really good. Mm. Absolutely, yes. And you do get the um the piercing as well with the pick. Yes, yeah. So, so yeah. the potential strength six and then... Yeah, that means that those defense eight models, those like if you're charging into an Iron Hill shield wall, you're not worried about it. Just pierce two-handed, and you can take off the front two models quite comfortably. Downside is if you do botch the combat, you're copying some wounds back because you're down to defense, you know, six or less, which which can be can be quite worrisome. Which I suppose is kind of the weakness of Bog and Azog is the fact that you know if they lose a combat a free combat because they've rolled really badly. They can cop wounds very quickly. And that one fate can be a problem. It's always been a problem for, for, for one fate here is, but particularly for Bog and Azog, because it's such a big investment in your army, you need to make sure you're looking after them. So you're not, you know, really nearly throwing them into combats that they're not supported. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, is part of the reason why you don't like the three into three models with with uh, the the sliding of the base because suddenly you know 
three models, spear supported, that six strikes, you cop two or three wounds out of nowhere and fail your fate, and that's bog done for the game. Yeah, it usually happens over two turns rather than one. If you botch, like botches are not uncommon. Like we, we talk about it like it's not going to happen. If you fail that first combat, you're pretty much going to lose most of your might because you don't want to lose that first combat and lose your wag early on or take even wounds. Like if you're going into four guys or, or essentially with the spear supports, they can kill you in one go and you cannot risk that at all. So you've got to win that combat and th- that's where it becomes a bit of a, a problem. I also find that because he's got such a big base, people are able to sneak cavalry models into him as he charges, and that's really bad. You've really got to make sure that you're covering your flanks and your, even your middle for him, which is kind of weird. But Because uh, if someone countercharges you with a cavalry model, they're clever enough to leave a space for one, suddenly you're not getting your knockdown, and that means that you're, you're not killing anywhere near as much, you're not throwing as many dice, and, and it can be, can be a bit of a concern. So he's one that, that he hits really, really hard, but... If you botch, you cop it. You do you do pay for it. So you've really got to be careful. He's not like one of those those superheroes that can can shrug off anyone for a turn. He can't. He can be he can be flash killed, um, and he's got to be really careful about that. And yeah, like like you said, Jeremy, like the the Felwag is so important to Bog more so than the White Wag is to uh, Azogs because. Be able to have that fell site on such a powerful model like Bog, it creates it creates a really large threat zone that you can, as as we've talked about in other uh, other episodes, how good the fell site is. It cannot be understated how good it is, particularly on Bog. Being able to sit behind terrain uh, and you know other line of sight blocking things like uh, trolls and stuff, and being able to go right this area of the table. This is mine. Come into it at your own peril. Losing the Felwag loses his... It downgrades his presence on the table quite significantly. And when you're taking Bolg, you need that presence to, to kind of stay in the game and stay active. Yeah, wow. I hadn't even considered how good the um, the Fell site was going to be. Oh, yeah. Get some terrain just on the board. A, and Yeah, like, just jump out of nowhere. <laughs> If you're playing in like a city, just camp your whole army in the city and put Bog behind a building, and then any hero that comes in is fair game because it's very because it's such a skinny base as well. It's very easy to just make a target and move him in. So you can you can do all kinds of things. I had one game against Kyle. You remember this one where you had the Thorin's company and you couldn't go anywhere because oh. I had Bog like basically out of line of sight, and I would just pick off one a turn, just just pretty much guaranteed, and it was. It was incredibly frustrating for you and incredibly great for me because that foul site means that you could never stop me. It was, you had to strike up. And I had the Master of Battle, so I got to strike as well. And oh, it was just, just a, an amazing game for me. That was a big learning experience for me. I will admit, I, I learned a lot from that particular game that you're talking about, Jeremy. And that, <laughs> kind of, that was the game that showed me just how powerful foul site can be and how powerful Master of Battle on a hero like Bog or Azog. Uh, can can be. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk about that more in the the keep it secret section because that's it, it's a really good fun and the army matches him really well. I feel like Bog's always a good purchase. I, I really like him. Uh, the Gundabad or Captain is our next hero, and this guy is really nothing to write home about. He's a good solid profile for fifty points. He's a Gundabad infantry hero, fortitude hero, so twelve models doesn't ally with the the yellow alliances, unfortunately. 
He's got his move six, no mount option for this guy at all. He's just a he's an infantry with lots and lots of armor. He's fight four with five plus shoot value. That's irrelevant. Fight four is okay for a hero. Strength five, that's good. Uh, defense six, two attacks, two wounds. Courage four is surprisingly good. And then two, one, one for might, will, fate. He's got the heroic march, which all the captains have, and that's a good reason to take him as much as any. I know that there's a march on Azog. I know there's a march on Bolg, but you spend this guy's march if you can over there, march. Uh, he comes with a heavy armor. He comes with a shield option for five points, which you basically buy because you want him to be up to defense seven, which means he can stand in front of a Boromir or any other nasty strength four heroes and shield and, and laugh at them as they try to wound him. Uh, he, he doesn't like dwarves. He doesn't like elves. Gets to reroll ones against them. He's a, a good, solid, affordable hero that, that adds bulk to your numbers. He's pretty much... but He's a good model, and the, the Courage 4 is sneakily good. Mm, and I think another thing that catches my eye about this guy is the... um. The strength five, yeah, yeah, that that's really handy, especially when you're going up against those heroes because they often they often have an odd number defense, and uh, he's it's good to have a hero that's different strength to your troops as well because most of the troops are strength four, so having that means that that those dwarves that are at defense seven uh, can fall to this Gundabad captain. Particularly too, I, I like having a strength five on the captain, or just having, like Jeremy said, the different odds. Odd strength because it allows you to go into other big heroes uh, like you know your your Boromirs and, and your your Gilgalads and your your, your Glorfindels and stuff and be able to get some chip damage in there, especially if you team them up with you know a Bolg who's able to go in match the fight for your strike up and stuff. Sometimes you know Bolg ain't gonna knock out an Elrond or Glorfindel or a Gilgalad in a single turn. But they can do enough of the damage that, you know, one or two extra wounds from a good to bad captain can be enough uh, to, to tip you over the line and, and knock them out in one go. Very true. And actually having heroes on small bases in this army is not a bad thing because everything else is on such big bases. So having a little tiny base model is, is really cool because they can certainly uh, help out your monsters with sneaky heroic combats and marches and all kinds of, of fun stuff. So they lead the Gundabad Orc Warriors, which are... The standard infantry for this list, uh, if you know Moran and Orcs, they are basically very similar to Moran and Orcs. They're a point more. So you're looking at eight points base for fight three, strength four, defense five, uh, one one for attacks, wounds, and courage of three, which is also very good. Uh, heavy armor and sword. They uh, And I keep saying the courage of three is really good because once again, I'll, I'll point out there's no fury in this army. So this is an army that... that Courage can hurt you. So having a base troop of higher courage is really useful. They are your only banner option in this army list other than the, the tower. So for 25 points, these guys often show up just as the guy holding the flag. They have a shield and spear option, which are both excellent value at one point and often appear on the same model. And they, they don't like dwarves and elves again, which is actually quite useful because there's a lot of dwarves and elves around. These are good, good, solid warriors, but they're a little bit on the pricey side. So they're probably maybe half a point or so, a bit more expensive than you'd like to pay. But they really do the job, and the enemy takes a long time to get through them. So they give your big heroes and your monsters, we'll talk about later on, time to go and do their job. Yeah, we've said it once, we'll say it a thousand times. These guys are just good, they're solid. And they do what all good, you know, mainline troops do, and that's die slowly while sitting on an objective. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do that. They they are surprisingly good, and you have some games where like almost none of them will die, and and it's just you just look at you get just surprised because these guys often will end up like there'll be three of them on their own holding up a warband, and they'll just shield in a little gap and then win the combats and stay alive and stay alive and. And while then you've got Azog or Bolg or a monster going up somewhere else on the battlefield, just chomping through troops, it's it can be impressive to watch. 
yeah, they're just like really quite. Yeah, they can just sit there. <laughs> and yeah. And look, I'm going to go out on the limb as well and say they're actually really nice models as well. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, I'm I'm actually surprised you said that, Jeremy. They are. I think they're even better than they they look in the paint job. Like it's a good paint job they've got in the book. But I really do like their armor. I think it's really cool. It's lots of lots of edges, um, sharp edges to it. Uh, lots of odd shapes. Lots of they're, like they're not triangles or squares or anything like that. Like there's just this is weird, weird shapes around them, and they're, they're quite good. They're actually some of my favorite orcs. Um, yeah, they're the the resin that can be a little bit annoying, a bit flimsy at times, but they're also very easy to convert. Like you can chop their arms and chop their legs off and chop their heads off and then move them around so you get lots of different poses. So they're one of the easier models in the game, baseline troops to convert up as well. So I quite like them. Yeah, me too. As I said, I got a big army of 36 back in the day. And um, and then, of course, they released the um, the conversion kits as well, which just make them just really, really stand out on a table because suddenly you have all sorts of... Um, uh, different shields and different helmets and you know all kinds of iconography that make it really feel like these guys have got a culture of their own yeah they're really co- it's kind of cool to, they feel like a different part of middle earth like i know they're from a different era than than the war of the ring but it's really cool to have this and i i hope in the future many years gone probably we start to get these other cultures of things like elves and men as well because it's kind of really cool to feel like they're recognizably orcs but they are a different culture of orcs like the orcs from mount gundabad um, I just wish, and I've, been, I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again, Kylie, uh, Pikes, I wish they had the Pike option still, even if it was a separate profile or something like that, and you couldn't give them the shield or something like that, because I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw in the movie some pretty long spears, which looked to me like Pikes. Uh, one of the um, the things I kind of really miss, uh, like one of the profiles that we don't really have, is the um, the actual orcs that march from Mount Gundabad with those big long Pikes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because they in the film you would see them and they feel like they're you know they move faster than the others and they um they're not as heavily armored so maybe dropping them down to defense four and not giving them shields and they could be really a really interesting sort of light pike force that could just keep moving. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I wouldn't mind them at just even at defense five because that's I feel like that's different from the rest of it because you like I know that some people take just a spearman on their own but most people go and mold a shield and put it on these guys to get everyone to defense six so it'd be kind of cool to have that. That weakness, but also the potential to get a pike block behind some of the some of the scary models here, and we'll also go with something that's a bit later on as well. But yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping next time we get some Hobbit stuff, which is it's got to happen some point in the future. We've got to get some Hobbit stuff at some point in the future. I'm hoping that's one of the things that shows up as long, along with the tower and some of the other models that are missing from the range. Declan, we really want you to talk about this next model because this is a an underused model, I think, in the the list, which is kind of cool. Right, Goblin Mercenary Captain, 50 points. They are Goblins, Infantry, Hero, Hero of Fortitude. They have a move of 5, as you'd expect of a Goblin, Fight of 3 slash 5, Strength 4, Defense 5, 2 Attacks, 2 Wounds, and Courage 3. They have 2 Might, 1 Will and 1 Fate. Uh, their Wargear is Armor and Sword, so fairly basic. Uh, and they just have Heroic March. Their special rules are Cave Dwellers. And then they've got Chittering Hordes, which is the same one as the Goblin Town Goblins. So models with the special rule can support as if they had spears, with the exception that they can only ever support another model with the Chittering Horde special rule. A supporting model does not oh, does get the benefit of having a two-handed weapon if it has one. Mm, yeah, that's interesting as well. So you can support behind... These guys don't have a two-handed weapon, but 
yeah, that, that chittering horde rules. It's it's funny because when I play these guys, I always have to explain that to my opponent because they don't expect it, and it's like you mention it, but they just don't realize that that there's just a clump of these guys, and they have that chittering hordes rule. Cave dwellers, correct me if I'm wrong. That's move over like rocks and things. Is that what it is? And jump tests. Yeah, and it gives you a plus one to your jump and climb check as well. Yeah, so pretty good for if you've got some rocky terrain around the board that that looks like a cave. That's pretty handy. Or if you're playing a Warhammer terrain and you're jumping over lava. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lava. Don't get me started on lava. I know. I know how you feel about lava, Jeremy, <laughs> but I, it was the only stuff they had in the GW store. Yeah, no, they, also, no people love lava. Yeah, I don't. Actually, actually, now, from memory, I don't think it affects uh, rocky terrain anymore. I think oh, it's it? only jump, leap, and climb tests. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's something different, but... yeah. Okay. So it just has a plus one, and I believe it still has the uh, that weird quirky thing for no penalties fighting in the dark. So if for some reason a cave dweller model gets their hands on a bow, they can shoot 18 inches and in, in met by moonlight. Oh, is that how that works? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. But the real rule you want to get, Declan, move on to this one. This is the good oh, one. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mercenary ambush. Warbands led by a goblin mercenary captain that contains solely goblin mercenaries do not have to deploy on the board at the start of the game. Instead, they may be kept in reserve. From turn two onwards, the controlling player must test to see if their goblin mercenaries have arrived. To do this, the goblin mercenaries captain must make a courage test at any point during the controlling player's move phase. If the test is passed, the controlling player may choose whether or not the goblin mercenaries have arrived. If the test has failed, then the opposing player may choose whether or not the goblin mercenaries have arrived. Once they have arrived, the controlling player places the warband fully within any eligible terrain piece on the board. Models deployed in this way may not be placed within the control zones of enemy models. This counts as the goblin mercenaries' movement for that turn. If the entire warband cannot be placed for any reasons, such as there are no eligible terrain pieces, they then may arrive as reinforcements from a board edge of the controlling player's choice instead. Mm, mm, yeah, this one it's it's potentially so so good. It's it's I like it because it's of a guessing game thing. So basically, at the start of the game, you're gonna declare which terrain they can fit into. If you take a big warband, you might have trouble fitting to some, but they actually get pretty close. They don't have a huge footprint. Uh, if someone sits in into the terrain, you've got a bit of problem. You want to pass these courage tests so you get to choose because oftentimes when you choose, you hold them back for an extra turn and you hold them back for an extra turn and keep the guessing game going. I think oftentimes the opponent, if they get to choose, they just say, drop them, drop them now. Let's see where they are. Uh, I, sometimes sometimes they hold them back, but this guy, that rule is definitely, you're paying for that price because for 50 points, he's pretty much the same price as a gun battle captain for a much worse profile, but that, that ability is really, really good. Now, I'm going to spoil the next one. They can lead... It can lead other models, but if they lead a warband of just goblin mercenaries, which uh, little five-point goblins, fight two, move five, strength three, defense four, nothing to write home about there, courage two, nothing to write home about, uh, with a sword or a pick, which is pretty good, good choice of weapons, uh, cave dwellers, uh, chittering hordes, and the mercenary ambush, though the whole warband can, can go and ambush, which is kind of cool. So for a cheap price, if you want to, say, take a 100-point warband, you get 10 goblins and a captain that you can drop inside terrain, and for once again, for those missions where movement is key and, and objective grabbing is key, these guys can be amazing. Just to be able to throw down a warband at a back objective, to be able to go and ambush next to an Iron Hills blister and then attack them with a bunch of goblins to uh, annoy them is pretty good and very affordable. It's a good way to bulk up your numbers as well. Absolutely, yes. I've had some experience with these guys. I um, I took a 
oh, almost 100 models of uh, Goblin Town to a big tournament last year, an 800-point tournament. And um, I took two warbands of these guys just to have the, you know, some contingency in there. And one of my favorite things to do was just, you know, just keep not bringing them on and but just move my goblins closer and closer so that the enemy was, you know, kind of, they were backed up against terrain. So they were kind of looking behind them to see, you know, when they were going to pop up and, you know, trying to defend themselves from both sides. And then I just didn't bring them down for ages just to see, you know, because they were always going to be worried about them coming down. That is the perfect use of them. Because, yeah, while they're off the board, people have to defend against all the terrain pieces on the board. So as soon as you know when they are, they lose a bit of effectiveness. But being off the board is particularly good as well. And, like, you think about a warband for 100 points, there's not a lot of effective fighting warbands you can get for 100 points. Like, usually they're around the 120, 130 sort of point mark. So these guys are, are pretty cheap. So even if they don't get where you want, you can still get some value out of just that guessing game. And then for games about objectives or... All kinds of things. They are they are really good. I, I don't take them a huge amount because I think I, I got them a lot later than the other models in the, the game. But every time I've taken them, I've just really enjoyed the game. It's been been a, like they're, they're fun to play around with. And they're surprisingly good in combat. Like because you don't expect them to do much, they actually turn out to be really good. And because they're so easy to maneuver because of that chittering hordes rule, you don't have to worry about formations with them. You just basically swamp them into the back of a formation while your your Gundabad warriors or anything else you've got on the list goes and attacks the front. Absolutely, yeah. All right, all right, all right. You guys have said your pairs, but honestly, I don't think you guys have sold how good these guys are. I'm not <laughs> sending <laughs> near enough hype for these guys. It's basically Lord of the Rings wish list to... To, to 40k going, hey, can we have some of your deep strike? And then these guys showed up. These guys are absolutely phenomenal. The amount of times I have walked past a table at a tournament or used them myself, even had them used against me and watched them win a game just for their sheer mobility of being able to just drop nearly anywhere on the table is absolutely incredible. Like... These guys are straight up game winners, and I, I cannot state how how good being able to appear nearly anywhere on the table is. Like it's to be even with just such crappy stat lines, like you know the fight two strength three whatever. Like it's a fairly crappy stat line. Even being able to drop that down anywhere on the table is is just phenomenal because. It allows you to apply constant, constant pressure and allows you to get to places where your army might not otherwise be able to get to. And even if they die horribly against, you know, a full warband of elves, they have still drawn that warband's attention long enough for you to get to them with the rest of your army. Particularly against all shooting armies, having a full warband of these can be enough to prevent your opponent or draw off enough of the shots that the rest of your army can close the gap and get into combat. The, yeah, the, these guys are insane. I do think they are worth 50 points plus the the, the extra model you, you're putting in there. I honestly think that the Goblin Mercenary Captain should be at worth at least 75. Nah, nah. The, nah. I think it's appropriately costed. But then we couldn't take guys, so many. <laughs> these guys are insane. They, they are insane. And... One one of my favorite uses from him, I can't remember who it was, but up in Sydney, he took three warbands of, uh, I think it was five guys, because five of them fit into the little 
triangle, like the, the little triangular looking uh, Osgilia Thruin that's like always littered around on tables at tournaments and basically had three of these warbands and he just kept dropping them into the little mini terrain pieces and just kept jumping on objectives when other people uh, weren't expecting it. It's, yeah, they're, they're, incredi- they're incredibly good. You pretty much always want to take at least some form of them in any competitive army because of what they provide tactically to a game. Yeah, I don't know about that, Kylie. I think in a in a like a Goblin Town list, absolutely 100%, you've always got the points for them. There is just so many good things in this army list that oftentimes you don't have the points for them. But they are like as you said, they are they are really good. We're we're both gun to bad players and, and Azog's Legion players, so we're not gonna talk them up as much because we don't want people to know our secrets too much. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. They are they are they are a very, very good tactical choice. They're very interesting and they add a, they add a huge amount to the list and lots of flexibility and a, and a lot of like pseudo speed to the list, which is it's an already a moderately fast list. But then to get these guys means you can basically be anywhere on the board, which is very useful. My only problem with them I have is the actual models feel like they're actually scaled a little bit too big. Like, I don't know if they're digitally designed or hand sculpted, but they feel like they're a little bit large for goblins. But that's that's okay once they all get done. But that one on the rock is bigger than a dwarf. Like, he's huge. I think the rock certainly helps. But yeah, they are, you know, sculpted a little bit larger. I definitely noticed that when I put them down next to my regular goblins. Yeah, they're like as big as the, um, the Gundabad Orcs, which is kind of strange because... You think they'll be smaller than that, but they're nice models, and I've got two warbands of them because I think there's a scenario with two warbands of them. And, and as as I said before, whenever I play them, I have have great fun with them. I find that in Azog's Legion, you never have the points for everything you want, and part of that reason is this next profile. Let's get a load of this one: the Gundabad Berserkers for 15 points. Uh, same thing, you're a Gundabad Orc Infantry Warrior. This one, move eight, move eight infantry already. I'm sold. That's fantastic. Fight value four. This is your fight value four that you need for your infantry in the army. That's really, really good. Shoot a five plus. Who cares? Uh, strength of four. Good. Strength four is the same as the Gundabad Orc Warriors. That's good. Defense of five. No shield option. That's a bit of a weakness. Two attacks. Two attacks. So, so good. Two attacks on a single model. That's why they don't have a shield, Jeremy, is because oh. they have two attacks. Two attacks. They don't even have two swords, and they've got two attacks. Like, this is... Yeah, <laughs> this is what we do. At one wound only, courage of, courage of six. This stat is sneakily amazing. Army, no fury options whatsoever. To have a warrior that's courage six that can move eight inches, if it was just anything that can move eight inches and had a courage six... I would 100% take them because these guys are the ultimate doing many, many things. But one of those is late game objective grabbers. These guys are, are just do it so, so well. You get a sword or an axe. Um, honestly, take whatever you like, quite frankly. You take a bit of both. They're, that's not a huge amount. I find that I don't pierce with them a huge amount. Like it tends to be, uh, you do it sometimes, you don't do it other times. They're fainting, I do sometimes, I don't do it other times because they've got some rules that sort of counter that. Two-handed pick. Uh, it's, it's a good option for one point. The 15 points goes to 16. Often, I don't take it. But if I'm using them as my hitters, I'll take that just to, to be able to get some extra hitting power in there as well and potentially go up to, to strength 5 plus the, the, the extra extra damage. If they're going to be hanging out with heroes, that's not a bad option. They have the ancient enemies again, dwarves and elves. They're oblivious to pain. So every time they suffer a wound, roll a d6. On a roll of a 6... Or, as Declan said before, on a 5-plus if the Banner of Agmar on the Azog Signal Tower is on the battlefield and manned, the wound is ignored exactly as if a fate point has been spent. This is not cumulative with other special rules that confer the same effect, which, once again, you're probably not getting in this list. That's also great fun, because I never expect it to happen, but it just annoys your opponent when it does. Like, it happens occasionally, and they go to all that effort. They finally beat a Berserker in combat. They go to kill it, and it just stands right back up and kills them next turn. These guys are great for intercepting 
uh, cavalry. They're great for for like just keeping them back as a reserve, like a safety, and then plugging holes in your lines. They're great for flanking. They're great as as like a bodyguard for a hero. You run with the hero, and they just power up those heroic combats brilliantly. They do everything in the list. I can't speak highly enough. I actually think these guys make the list work. Look, everything you've just said, Jeremy, I agree with hundred percent these guys are absolutely phenomenal like well to, to kind of put it into perspective when when i first saw this sports profile i saw the move a and went shut up and take my money then i saw the fight for strength four i went here's my arm and my leg and then i saw the two attacks and went you know what screw it. i'm just gonna die and go straight to heaven but then i got to heaven and saw that it had courage six and probably passed out in front of jesus okay These guys... interesting twist <laughs> go on sorry these guys are the epitome of the multi-tool i'm not sure how many of you tool uh sitting at home or in a toolbox somewhere but these guys as jeremy said they'll do anything and everything you basically need you need to punch a hole these guys are your job you need to outflank and grab an objective these guys are it you need someone to just run into a gap and just hold it for a really long time hey these guys can do it too the fact that they can fill in so many kind of spots in an army list makes them so valuable but what i love about them is the fact that they're actually fairly appropriately costed for the army. You can't take too many of them because then you don't have enough models, but they're great as backup. They're great at just, uh, you know, reinforcing your army in the right spots. And because of their move eight, they can slip and duck into to, to any kind of spot they need to. And and after playing Gildor and, and uh, Malhus Marauders, move eight is, is sneakily one of the best stats you can get in the game. And, being able to have all of this extra stuff rolled into them as, as one, it's 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 absolutely awesome. And mm. I, I love these guys. I'd probably put them down as the best shock troop in the game. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're good. Declan? Yes, I absolutely agree with all of that. Yeah, I'm just looking at the profile here. They're not that dissimilar to a captain. And, you know, apart from the might, will, and fate, you could argue they were almost better. Oh, they hit harder than the captains, I find, because they you, you use them in that attacking role more. And the 8-inch movement is so, so good. Because what you can do is you can sit a couple of these guys like 7 inches away from, from your opponent and then sit your rest of your troops like 7 inches away as well. So you have some Gundabad Orcs or whatever. And then if they come towards you, you can hit them with everything. If they stay back, you can hit them with the Berserkers. And it gets this weird guessing game where people don't want to come at you at all because they know how hard the Berserkers hit. But if they do come at you, then you're going to go and, and take them out. So I um, the, the Masters that I've managed to get the win on, I use these guys a lot in combination with the, um, the Gundabad Orc Warriors. And people would just... I could just do a standoff with them and just stay six and a half inches away from the opponent or whatever. And then they, they were just so scared of them that they, they had to to be indecisive, which was able, which meant that I was able to get time with my other stuff to go and win the game. So they're so good. They're always around at the end of the game. They're, uh, they're just, they're just wonderful. They're, they're, they're good. Every time I don't take them, I regret it. Mm, that, yeah, that sums them up really nicely. It's weird. Cause in the New Zealand scene, they're almost a bit of a joke. Cause I get people saying, well, not a bit of a joke, but people don't seem to think they're as good as they are. Cause they just say, Oh, I just run them and then they die. Well, you don't just run them in. You just, you you know do a lot of movement tricks. You grab objectives and then you you know smash face. Yeah, they're not your classic like just run in their face frontline shock troops. You can use them that way, but they will get they they're arrow magnets, so you don't want to do that. 
and heroes will do everything they can to take these out. So you've got to be a little bit better with your placement, which you can because you're 8 inches. You can set them behind your orcs, go and engage with your orcs, and then bring these guys in later as a reserve. My favorite formation is Bolg and like 8 of these guys on the flank just hiding around because they would just they'll just mince up anything. But you go and you put them behind their building, you wait a turn. Once the lines are engaged, you bring them out, and then the turn afterwards, it's on. The berserkers are having having their, their meat Absolutely, yeah. I've um I've got fifteen of these, and I've got another one nine on the way from Forge Wealth, which should um hopefully come in the next few days. And I'm just really excited about getting them all down on the table. Yeah, I th- I don't think you will regret that. Like the I know you need twenty four for the scenario. I've got similar mm. numbers. I've got about a dozen done, and I'm happy to run them all. Like they they just they just so so good. So that gets us all our main infantry warriors. We now move on to our monsters, and this list has quite a few monsters. Yeah, the first monster we have, of course, the big, the bad, the, someone would say, signature Gundabad Troll. For 120 points, you get the Troll, Gundabad Monster, Infantry, and Warrior keywords. But what we really want to see is its stat line. It has a move of 6, fight 7 with a shoot of 6, six plus for, you know, whatever reason. Has a strength of 7, defense of 8, 3 attacks, and very much crucially, 4 wounds a whopping four wounds there and a courage of four as well for war gear he has heavy armor and you get the choice between either a massive crushing club or a pair of scythe gauntlets which we'll get into in a moment special rules of course terror it's a big scary troll why wouldn't it cause terror and it also has ancient enemies on both dwarves and elves now to kind of get into the uh the two war gear options you have the crushing club and the sides. The crushing club basically it gives you uh, every wound caused does d3 instead. Uh, in addition, any model that uh, is targeted with strikes from the crushing crushing club but survives the strike is knocked prone on the roll of a three plus. So you know a little bit of extra chip uh, chip damage and CC in there is always nice, but where I think the real money lies is in the scythe gauntlets. A Gundabal troll. Gundabad Troll, armed with scythe gauntlets, receives plus one to its strikes when rolling to wound, which is absolutely mint. Being able to basically bump you up to strength nine is is always, always going to be a good option. It's even better than that because I've because if something's defense five or less, this guy's wounding them on a two plus, which is insane. So like I took on a Gladrial once, the um pajama one of the pajama Gladrials, and took it out with a, a Gundabad Troll because. Like, it was just two plus to wound. So I had the trap ready to go, six dice, two plus to wound. They all wounded. Where, away we went. And, and that was that's the kind of damage that these guys can do. 120 points, you get this massive model. It's so imposing on the battlefield. It's it's brilliantly scaled. I, I just love how, how imposing it is. They're great, great models. And these guys, you've got almost an immovable fight seven beast. So I, I, I just love these guys. Yeah, they're just fantastic. I really like that they have a point of difference with the... um against the Mordor Troll having the um the four wounds. Do Mordor Trolls have Courage 4 now? I can't remember. I think there's still Courage 3, but I can check that. Yeah, you oh, check cool. that, Kylie. But even, the, yeah, the four wounds is a huge difference because it means that you can run into pretty much any hero in the game and know you're going to survive the turn. Mm, and not only that, but you were saying they were wounding on a 2+. plus. They can re-roll ones against Dwarves and Elves. I mean, oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been it, yeah, because I had Galadriel, and she's an Elf, so that's why I wounded with all of them, I'm sure, but... Oh, it's so so good. Fight seven is so handy. It's it's like if you if you can get fight seven, 
you pretty much want to take some fight seven. And these guys, like if you don't have Bolgarazok, you pretty much want to have one of these guys. But even if you do, they're such a good tag team. The only really disadvantage I find with them is they're on a massive base and they're a bit slow. So they can get bogged down and they can get lost a little bit. But you've got to remember that they're monsters. So they so they don't care about water. They, they're they able to move reasonably fast. This guy, you don't want to hide him from arrows. Like if someone shoots him, takes some wounds off, good on you. Like I'm happy to use him as an arrow magnet. And it just does really well. I don't mind the club. It's a good weapon, but it's pretty much only good against multi-wound models. So the Scythe Gauntlets, I think, are just a better all-round choice. They're the ones that you you, you know you, your troll can do everything with the Scythe Gauntlets, whereas the club, it's got more of a specific role. Yeah, I was saying before that I think Bolg and Azog have you know quite different roles in the list. As um, you know, Azog definitely a hero killer. Bolg, maybe not you know, necessarily better against troops, but he's you know certainly can dish out the damage. Uh, so maybe you'd consider taking um, the Scythe Gauntlets one with Azog just because it's going to be better at clearing out the troops and the Crushing Club one with Bulk just so it can deal with the heroes while he can you know, call his combats to get to the 10 kills. I can see that. The Scythe one definitely means it's much better at taking out troops. And I think that's almost what you want the troll to do. Like the majority of the time your troll is fighting rubbish. So to be able to, to reliably take that out every time, like there's nothing worse than a troll fighting two or three guys and then only killing one of them every turn, or even none of them. And the Scythes just mitigate against that quite a bit. So I would take the club for the look of it and for the... Like, I'll take it on my second troll, absolutely, because it's kind of cool to have second a different one. But I, I even for both of those, for Azog and Bolg, I'm, I'm looking at the Scythe Gauntlets because it's just so reliable all the time. Mm. And another great thing about these trolls is they've uh, got the different weapon options, but the, the same basic body, so you can just swap different bits of them around and make them really quite unique. Like I think it's four of them, isn't it, in that big scenario that we need? And it's you can swap them around enough to get four different poses as well, which is really handy. Mm. I love the idea of just take, having like you know three up the front just for a, like a completely themed list, and um, or actually for the um to the king scenario probably, and just having them all be the crushing club ones, just like they were in the film, and but then converting them into different more dynamic poses, and yeah, I just think they'll look amazing. Well, that's something right up your alley, isn't it, Jeremy? <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've definitely chopped up and converted my ones to these guys, and I've had a ball with them. They're they're good models. I wish the bodies had a bit more variety, but I understand the limitations in sculpting, and I'm glad we got different options for heads and and arms and things like that. Uh, Kylie, what did you find out about the courage? Uh, courage for on the motor troll che- on the motor trolls as well. So okay, both the Bad Trail and the motor troll. But one thing I will mention though, as well, uh, Jeremy, you mentioned that you find that the base size to be a bit of a detriment. I think that can also be used as a bit of a positive too, because when you have, I think it's a, an 80 millimeter base. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. An 80 millimeter base. That's a lot of space on the table. You can basically box out and, and block up to, you know, basically four uh, infantry bases worth of models and the ability to be able to plonk him in a spot and just zone out that 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 space and prevent models getting through that space with such a big model, I think is is not to be understated because being able to control that much of a battlefield, even around and particularly around an objective that's only three inches, you know, has a three inch radii, you can basically plonk him in front of it and go, Well, you can't get to this objective now until you kill the troll. Good yeah. luck with that. Oh, agreed, agreed. It's just sometimes if you've got like heavy terrain, you can actually get him stuck and there's only a few pathways, similar to like those war beasts where like you know where they're going to go. 
So that's that's probably the detriment. But you're right. In terms of space holding, he's phenomenal. He's so good at that. He's he's just a really good model at at 120 points. is is a fair price for it. Uh, it's it's a big price, but I definitely think it's always worth it. I don't think you ever regret taking one of those. Yeah, um, Kylie, I've heard uh, you in the past talk a lot about shepherding, and um, I think you mentioned once that that's something these guys could do quite well. Yes, I was actually going to say that for the tac- tactical, but yes, yeah, shepherding is uh, these guys' primary MO. They're very, very good at doing it. Probably, uh, I would say, the second best models in the game to do it uh, outside events. I wish they had a little, little bit more speed is my only complaint, but it's, it's a very minor complaint, and that's only because something else in the army has that speed, but they, they are so good. The Catapult Troll is an interesting one. So here you've got an expensive monster. It's 180 points, so you're looking at the price of Bulk fully kitted out. Uh, you've got a Siege Engine Monster Infantry on a single base. We don't know what size the base is. We assume it's going to be an 80 mil base like the big troll. So that's what we assume. So lots of people proxy it with the the actual Gundabad troll, or they've converted it, or they bought third party ones, or whatever. It's movement of six, so same speed. Fight of only six this time, which only six is a is a bit silly because fight six is amazing. But a shoot of four plus as well, which is useful this time. Strength of seven, defense of seven, three attacks. Five wounds, five wounds, oh, that's a magic number. And courage of only three. It's got a catapult and metal gauntlets. Causes terror, which is good. It's a catapult, so it follows the rules for volley fire. 12 inches to 96 inches, so you're not getting it when you're really close. Resolved at strength 10, which is the magic number, of course. And then the exceptions are uh, it can fire in the same turn as it moved in, even up to its full value, although it only hits on a six. So if you move, it's only hitting on a six. The catapult must still be fired in combat. If you do this, though, and you roll a one, it can, it's going to malfunction, and the troll suffers a wound. A wound, who cares? Like It's not like it's going to kill it outright. A catapult troll does not have a crew in the same way as a conventional siege engine. It's classified as a large siege engine, and the troll itself is considered to be the siege veteran. Now, unlike other ones, it doesn't come with might, will, fate. So that was the next question you're going to ask, but they've got rid of that straight away. I love this rules writing. And unlike other siege engines, the catapult troll cannot be destroyed if the model spends an entire turn in base contact with it, which would be weird. Uh, it's got an area effect, so it's like like the catapult, essentially. You've got a two-inch blast range where you get hit by the strength 10 in the middle, and then anything within two inches takes a thrown rider and cops a, a strength 6 hit, which is really powerful. It's got a goblin crew. Uh, if it wins the fight, though, this is interesting, in addition to any strikes that the troll makes, the goblin crew may make strikes against the, those in combat with the troll. You get D6 strength 3 strikes if the catapult troll wins the fight. Uh, if it uses a brutal power attack, then the goblins do not get these additional strikes. So potentially you can throw 9 dice on attacks, 3 of them at strength th- 7, and up to 6 at strength 3, which is really, really nice. Metal gauntlets. Uh, they, it never counts as being unarmed, which is nice against those like disarmed models and things like that. But more importantly, strength 10 when rolling the distance for a hurl brutal power attack means if you hurl this guy, it's going as far as anyone. Seems like a good purchase, but it's one that I haven't played with yet and I'm looking forward to. Declan, you've had some experience with the Catapult Troll, haven't you? Yeah, I've um, played it a couple of times in the breakthrough scenario, which we're going to um, go over later. And they can be quite variable, I've found, because I also had um, Gandalf with Blinding Light on the other side. And once he managed to get the Blinding Light up, I just thought, oh, well, great. Now I don't need to sit still. I'm just going to start moving towards you at six <laughs> inches a turn. And it is surprising how often you do get that six. And it is terrifying because that you know the other players you know put up Blinding Light and they're you know, really trying to keep the arrow. And then this rock hurtles down out of the sky straight into one of their big heroes. The profile itself is not too bad. Like, it's pretty much a combat beast. Fight six... 
is not fight seven, but it's still really good against almost everything. Strength seven is great. Three attacks is okay, but to get those extra strikes in combat as well, plus the options for the brutal power attacks, means that you've almost got this catapult as a bonus. And it's the one thing that's got some, some shooting in this army as well. So it definitely plays a role in the army. I guess the only real disadvantage is that you're, you're locking in 180 points, which is, once again, a large amount of points in an army that everything costs a lot of points. Okie dokie. So next we have uh, the Troll Brute, also known as the uh, the, the Troll Catapults. Uh, much, uh, well, let's just say he's the ugly cousin of the... Uh, of, of the three trolls. Uh, he comes in at a hundred points. He has the troll, Gundabab, monster, infantry, and warrior keywords. He has a movement of six, fight five, shoot value of six plus, strength seven, defense six, so a bit on the low side there. Uh, three attacks, four wounds, and a courage of three. Mm. His war gear is a flail. Or flails. He has multiple flails. <laughs> You're not going to flail with him. Don't, don't flail <laughs> I don't, with him. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to flail with this guy. He's got three special rules. Uh, Terror, of course, being a troll. And Fearless, interestingly enough, which is uh, kind of kind of useful. Amazing. Mm. Final special rule is Crushing Blow. Now, this is, this is the Troll Brute's wheelhouse. This is why you basically take a Troll Brute. Each time a Troll Brute moves into contact with another model, it must inflict a single Strength 10 hit upon that model. Cavalry models suffer these hits on both the Rider and the Mount. If the model is slain, then the Troll Brute may continue its move. If it is not slain, then the Troll Brute stops, exactly like a charging model would. And if the model is an enemy, we'll fight it as normal in the fight phase. Mm, this has one big change from the previous edition, and I used it a lot in the previous edition. The fight five is so, so important because the problem I had with this guy was that he almost always lost combat to basic fight four troops because he'll get in, he'll get hit by a lot of them and then keep losing combats and then they'll end up wounding him and killing him pretty early on. But that fight five means that they have to take something big to take him out, which I think is really, really useful. The strength 10 hit is great because you can do it as you move. You don't have to move in a straight line. So he can just like dance around a little bit, unlike a, a Mumak or a Gundabad, uh, not Gundabad, a uh, Gorgoroth Beast and those sort of things. He can he can just sort of skip around lines and start hitting multiple guys. The Fearless is sneaky good because you know that this guy, you know that he's around at the end of the game. So I've often used him as like almost a reserve troll. So I keep him, at, like I don't engage him in the start and I hold him back to like the lines are drawn and then start using him to be annoying. He can still get all the brutal power attacks. So interestingly enough, he can still hurl and do all this sort of stuff. But he also gets the bonuses as he hits things. And then you know that if he's on an objective at the end of the game, he's going to be there as well. So he's, I think with a fight five, he's a good choice now. One of the things that's always sort of occurred to me when I've been playing him is the, um, is that it can be a little bit tricky to know um, where to where to charge just because you may be fighting a combat there or you may not. Yes, yes, definitely. So I find that with, with that, I, I tend to almost, like I would a war beast, have a path where I think he's going to go and knowing that he can stop anywhere along that path. So I, I often don't set him up for the first turn. Um, I have had times where, like, you know, the, those deployments where you're setting up basically in combat, so you just plonk him where you want to start hitting. People will do a heroic move against him. Watch out for that. He's definitely a heroic move magnet. So if you've got a Bolg or an Azog, that's going to be really handy to, to have the master of battle. But, you, mm. yeah, you, you've got to almost plan it ahead because it's on one of those awkward big bases as well, which, as Kylie says, has its uses. 
but it also really does slow this person down. And what they're going to use for this one, your opponent's going to try and mitigate that that hitting damage. They're going to try and set up in a spot where they where they don't cop much of it. I tend to use him. I actually think that that this guy is even a better shepherd than the the Gundabad troll that, that Kylie mentioned because this guy he's got the fearless, so he can operate on his own. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about charging anything. He's just got such a threat potential. Like even if he doesn't get it, that the opponent often just runs away from him. They just leg it away from this guy. So you can almost use him as that that model that that forces him into a certain area because no one wants to get hit by a troll brute because the damage it can take out everything. It's hit so hard. It's like it hits strength te- strength ten on the way in, and then strength seven, and then like if it does get into a hero and does manage to win the combat, it just flick it across the battlefield and just just hurl it around. And uh, it, it's a it's a nice model. I actually think I disagree with Kylie. Kylie says it's ugly. Like I think it's a very well built troll. Like look at it. Look at its arm definition. Look at it. Look at its chest and that. It, it's definitely one that's that's worked out. I think it was probably a very attractive <laughs> troll before it lost its limbs. Yeah, I know this guy often sort of cops a bit for you know how he looks, but he can certainly he's certainly just as deadly as any of his any of his troll brothers. So. Yeah, no, I, I think he's a he's a good choice. He's a, once again, one of those interesting choices. You cannot have everything in this army, so you, you can pick the troll brute if you want, but you're pretty much designing your army around it at that point. Unlike the ogre, the ogre is the budget monster for 60 points. 60 points are a monster, could be the cheapest monster in the game. Kylie will get back to me on that one in a second. But what you get is a move eight monster for 60 points on a 50 mil base already. I'm, I'm very excited about this model. Fight five. Yeah, that's okay. It's that fight five's enough. Fight five's a good good amount. Strength six is very good. Defense five is pretty pretty average, but you've got the speed to avoid like lots of hits. Attacks three, wounds three, courage three, three three three, wooden clubs, clubs as the the weapon. Terror special rule, which is good. Like you you don't often expect to get terror on a cheapo model like that. But the the secret is this relentless advance. So when it charges into combat, it can pass through friendly orc goblin and bat models. Uh, when they move and each model they pass through suffers a strength three hit. If they end on top of the model, so you basically park them right on top of them, you just remove them as a casualty. You cannot be compelled or commanded or anything like that to do this if you want. This means that these guys can always charge. That is so, so, so handy because people can't use the standard like like bottleneck you with your, your monster. They put them in, they engage your front rank, and you just run right over them. And, and this model can pick off any hero that they want. So if there's a fight four hero or even a fight five hero or even a, a bigger hero than that that I want to just go and, and hit with a monster, I can just run over my own Gundabad Orc and then send the ogre in. They they keep up with Bolg pretty well because they're move eight ones. They keep up with the the berserkers. They're a perfect monster for the berserkers. They're they're a really really nice choice. And for sixty points, they're they're quite a bargain, really. Yeah, they just they just seem really solid. I mean, they would be amazing even without the relentless advance, just for what you get for the price. Yeah, they they feel they feel cheap to me. I don't I don't know if people who don't play the army feel like that, but I I just these ones they fit so easily into an army. The fight five can be a bit of a disadvantage at times if you want to do that standard monster thing of just running into the biggest hero and scaring them. They definitely don't scare the biggest hero, but they're actually surprisingly good as bait because heroes will try to kill them. So you can actually set them up as bait, lose one of them, and then because you've got so many points, you can you can set up a trap where Bolg or Azor comes in and, and gets the, the opponent when they're out of position. So oh, they're, they're really good. They are so fast in water, surprisingly fast in water. So you're moving eight inches through through water. The shallow water is, is amazing. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jeremy. Budget monsters, basically. And they're really good budget monsters. I mean, the, as, as we said before, move eight on anything 
is fantastic. And move eight on a monster is even better. Yes, they're cheap. They're they're dirty. They're nasty, but they're cheap enough to imply input. Sorry, they're cheap enough to employ the rule of three with. I think if you're going to take these guys, take three of them. They will not do you wrong. That's that's the beauty of these guys. You can take lots of them. And if you if you if you kind of throwing a troll in the middle, troll on the left flank and troll on the right flank, your opponent's not going to have the heroes to be able to deal with all three at once. And that's that's kind of the beauty of them is is the fact that you can spam them and spam them quite effortlessly. Uh, and you you asked before, Jeremy, if they were the cheapest monster in the game. Uh, they are. Oh, fantastic! That that makes me a little bit proud because I really like this list. To have to have some like record breaking models is always a good one. I, I Kylie, I, I sometimes I, I sort of laugh off your rule of three because of the cost involved. These guys, a hundred percent agree for for a hundred and eighty points to get three monsters. Even just the hurl potential, like, is massive. Like, I've annoyed horde armies with these guys just by getting some angles and just throwing three hurls at like a Gandalf or something like that, just to keep knocking them over and annoying them. It, it's it, they're such a good model, and the biggest disadvantage I have for them, I guess, is that that you can't have everything in this list. Everything the points are adding up so much. Everything's been good so far. Uh, we move on to another thing that's good, which is the warbat. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't have a model, so we assume it's on a forty mil base because that's the other uh, bats are on, and I know that. The designers have hinted at that. I don't think they've ever fully confirmed it. But for 25 points, you've got a 12-inch flyer. So that's that's good. Notice how the move value is 12 inches as well, which is interesting. So they, if they're not using the flyer, I think they still get to move 12. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But they've got... No, yep, they can. They can waddle 12 inches. Oh, very handy. Yeah. So, so like if yeah, if if you if one of those that silly dwarf floy is like trying to take their fly away, you still got a twelve inch move, which is fantastic. And you got fight value three, nothing to write home about. Strength of four, which is good. Defense of four, which is it's usable. Two attacks, very good. Two wounds, very good. Courage of three, that's okay. That's not bad for a for a bat, quite frankly. But you've got some special rules that are a little bit confusing. Uh, first one. When a Warbat charges, the defense of the charged model and any models that are subsequently countercharged is reduced by two against the Warbat's strikes. Against the Warbat's strikes. So this Warbat strikes or any Warbat's... Uh, I, once again, I feel like this is a really awkward way of writing something which should just be like the, the Warbat gets bonuses for when it charges rather than the defense is reduced, which is... Uh, it's an interesting way of writing this, but basically when it charges the defense is reduced by two. So you're hitting more than that strength four, which is pretty nice. Awkward way of writing it, the piercing towers, talons. Even a more awkward way of writing is the pluck rule. So at the end of the Warbat's move, pick an unengaged man size or smaller enemy model that it has moved over and roll a d6. So at the end of the Warbat's move, so it may charge, but you have to pick an unengaged man size or smaller, which is ambiguous on its own, but uh, that it's moved over and roll a d6. On a 4+, plus, the model suffers a strength 4 hit, full stop. So 4+, plus it suffers a strength 4 hit. We know what a strength 4 hit does. That's great. If it survives, roll another dice. On a 4+, plus, that model is knocked to the ground. Now, this is confusing to me because if I read it as it's written, if it survives, it's going to survive if it doesn't take a strength 4 hit, and it's possibly going to su- survive if it takes a strength 4 hit. If that's what's written, which I think is what's written... Like, why do they need to say that? Because it's a strength four hit. Like, if you're dead, who cares if you're knocked over? So I feel like it should be either all the times it's knocked to the ground on a four plus and, and suffers a, a four plus a strength four hit, or it's are they trying to say that if it takes a strength four hit, 
then you may be knocked over as well. If it doesn't take the strength four hit, then you can't be knocked over. Maybe they're trying to say that, but it's not what's written. Declan, what do you think about that? I think it it does say if it survives, roll another dice. So I think that's more if it just any situation in which the model has not been slain. Yeah, I agree. I think it's trying to take into consideration captains on foot and, and, and of those elk. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I, I'm not quite sure. I feel like everyone everyone is okay interpreting that way. I always feel a little bit dirty because the wording's a bit bit clunky, like the wording for the piercing talent. I feel like someone was trying to get these wording out in a hurry at the end of the time. But but these are fantastic models because to have a model that has a 12-inch threat range with two attacks and strength four that really operates as strength six is amazing. Rivendell Knights hate these guys absolutely hate them because they can chase them down and take them on. Two bats can go take one Rivendell Knight on and quite comfortably take it down and they're, they're really, really good. They're expensive. 25 points. You look at, you buy two of them and you're almost at the price of an ogre uh, but they are so, so worth it and I, I've really, you can't have huge amounts of them. Like I know that some people have designed armies where they've got like 10 plus of them but I feel like having two to four of these guys is a good purchase if you can afford it. And they look like they're so good for grabbing objectives as well. 12-inch movement is is always good. But these guys, out of all the bat types we've got now and all the flyer types we've got now, these guys are the hitters. These guys are the ones that attack. They're also your your missile support because they can hit guys without engaging them. So you can jump forward six inches and then jump back six inches, pass over a man-sized model, like a Galadriel, for example, and then do a, potentially do a strength four hit. That, that could be really annoying for the opponent that when they're not engaging and you just keep dropping strength four hits on the heroes is that can be that can be pretty mean but most importantly if your if your opponent's big enemy hero goes in and charges into your your big gundabad line like a, a Thorin or an Aragorn or a Boromir or something like that you can fly over with the warbat and a one in four chance you're gonna knock them prone preventing them from making strikes. It's huge. Being able to not be able to strike back is is a massive detriment, especially to heroes that you know are having to take on things like Gundabad trolls, berserkers, and uh, yeah, Azogs and Bol. And I suppose if you've got a couple of them as well, they're really good assassination models for like smaller targets like banners. Because um, can you can you use a banner effect if the banner's been knocked over? Ah, uh, no. I'm not sure oh. about that one, but but you're right. They are actually really good at banners because what you can do is engage the banner supporters as well. And oftentimes when that's the case, like you know how you get that circle formation where everyone's around the banner protecting it and the banner's the only thing unengaged? These bats can then start doing assassination runs at the banner and try and take it out, actually take it out. And they're really good at it. Like strength four is a good hit. And if you get two or three of them doing it, one of them's going to hit it potentially, and you can do some damage. I've done that exactly, exactly what you're talking about, taking out banners once the battle line's engaged, because I don't like to use these guys as frontline troops. I like to be really opportunistic with them. I only engage fights that I know I'm going to win, and then other times I'm just flying over models, annoying them. And and you're right. You don't get the banner effects when you're not prone, so there's, there's you know, a lot of a lot of things that can that can go horribly wrong for your opponent when they're up against uh, things like bats. Yeah. And one thing we kind of haven't mentioned too is the fact that it has a 12-inch move means they can move six inches through forest. Yes, Which yes. is incredibly speedy. Yeah, that that can be surprising as well because they can keep up with, with anything through the forest. 
Uh, they can move over water. Basically, they can anything that's fast in this army they can keep up with. If you if you have the signal tower and you want to send some bats to reinforce, they're going to be there really quickly. Yeah, and because they're infantry as well, they can just uh, in something like Seize the Prize or Elims of Ages Past, they can just go and Ooh, just. Yeah. Oh gosh. They, they can just go and seize the prize. Yeah, first turn seize the prize. Yeah, imagine imagine uh, Azog calling her march, overshooting the prize, dismounting with the white wug in front of the prize, and then your bats just sitting behind them, uh, ready to pick it up. Nasty Ooh. stuff. Also, um, things like Maelstrom deployment, when they come on, they get to do their, their strike. Like, a lot of things don't. But because it's as they move, they can do it. So you can fly over things and start picking them off. So if people have done poor deployment in Maelstrom and been a bit casual with things like banners or anything like Warhorns, you can get these guys and just take them out early on. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's all um, the profiles. There's a lot of profiles here that we've gone through. And, and I don't think there's any duds in this list, which is really kind of cool. Like every single one of them, I think, has its uses. In the past, I might have said some of them were duds, duds but they've been changed enough to make them quite takeable. I think it's time to move on to some tactics with Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe. This is an army that, that on first glance looks pretty straightforward. You have almost no shooting. You've got a catapult. You've got the strike of the, the bats. But other than that, you've got nothing at range. You've got lots of monsters. You've got amazing heroes. You've got heavy infantry. It feels to me like like first glance, push it forward and see what happens. Kind of no-brainer army. Declan, do you find that that's the case? Um, I don't really find that that's the case because there are so many sort of different different little um tricks in the army such as the um the eight inch movement with a lot of the berserkers and the ogres and the um you know all the shenanigans with the warbats not to mention things like the um the troll brute as well as you know just the general army bonus yeah absolutely there's firstly in this army list more so than others you're probably spending a lot of points on heroes like a lot of points on heroes maybe even up to half your points maybe even more than half your points on heroes so you need to make those work you cannot let them get taken down so you've got the perfect infantry to, to complement those with this heavy infantry that can all shield. So get the shields for every model that, that, that can. So they basically gun to bed orcs, have your shield. They can don't be afraid to spread out and just hold lines while your heroes and monsters do the work. And then use the monsters and the heroes very strategically. So make sure that you pick your targets. Go into the ones you want to kill. Don't just go forward. The the opponent wants you to just go forward and take on what you want. You've got to be a little bit more careful than that. Yeah, definitely. I think if there was a couple of words that could um that could sum up, you know, some of the tricks in the army, it would be um convergent evolution. So the idea that, you know, things evolve like in complete isolation to but they fulfill the same ecological niche as something else. Like, you know, the weta in New Zealand um evolved to fulfill the same ecological niche as the mouse in um in a lot of other countries. So I think um you know, given that this army doesn't have shooting, it has instead it has warbats that can go and kind of, you know, distract the engagement the enemy engage in that way and um and it doesn't have cavalry so it has um ogres and berserkers yeah that's a good point that they the ca- the berserkers can definitely play as cavalry would and and that sort of that skirmish cavalry um overall i i've described playing this army as being a heavy skirmish army and what i mean by this is that when i when i 
go in. I, I get forward. I get nice and close. But then I can skirmish around a bit. I dance around like side to side to try and get an opening, to try and make sure that my heroes are going to go into the, the choice targets and to put people off. And this is very, very useful with things like the Berserkers and the Bats and the Ogres and anything that moves fast because they can reposition really, really quickly. So oftentimes your opponent, you'll go forward and they'll set up a really, really good defensive line that they expect you to run into. So then oftentimes I end up hitting that with a handful of Gundabads that are just going to shield where the rest of my hitters all jump around the sides or the back of the army or pick on certain targets and then basically readjust. Or I have my skirmish line of Gundabads and then I throw a few ogres right through them. So this this idea that, that you can reposition, you can run around, you don't have to engage in a hurry is really true in this army. You don't have to be too scared of shooting because most of you guys are pretty resilient. You can take the time to line up and do the, the, the skirmish force, but with no shooting. It's very, very interesting. Now, the monsters are pretty, pretty useful in this army. Kylie's going to give a quick rundown of some of the tactics with the monsters there because there's quite a few different uses. Yeah, like, because you have so many different types of monsters, it opens you up to so many different types of monster strategies. And we, we kind of briefly touched on before the idea of uh, shepherding, which is basically putting your monsters up front or getting your monsters up front and then keeping your, your more vulnerable troops. I and mean, I say that very loosely with Gondabads and considering that they're uh, defense six in, uh, with, with the shield. But basically keeping your, your vulnerable troops behind them and keep moving your monsters um, around your opponent's battle lines so that they keep getting in the way. So that for them to get around and into the back lines of your own, um, your, your infantry and your squishier troops, they have to get around the monsters, which gives them more time to just kind of do their thing and just be big, bulking behemoths, basically. Furthermore onto that, You've got your other strategies, like uh, with the high mobility of the ogres, being able to you know get those beautiful uh, and nice juicy looking hurl corridors. You can kind of keep them in reserve, keep them in reserve, and then bang, shoot them out onto a flank, charging, get in the perfect spot, and then just throw down the line. One other thing we haven't really talked about either is uh, how good barging can be with this force. Because you have such really kind of really big meat and potatoes kind of, you know, we're just going to hit things really hard, uh, you know, elements to your army with the berserkers and uh, even just the basic Gundabads and, and your heroes, you can use barges to help break up your opponent's army so that you can sneak in with your uh, berserkers and and and. Uh, Gundabad warriors to get those nice juicy traps so that you can break down your opponent's army into small easy pieces that you can just basically absorb into your mass that is the Gundabad horde. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the barge is a really good option and uh, th- for, a, for a model like the, um, the Troll Brute it's an especially good option because you could barge and then potentially hit a whole bunch of other things with, with strength 10s and that's a pretty scary option. It is indeed. And like one thing that cannot be understated is just how good that troll brute strength 10 hit can be. Any damage that you can inflict to your opponent outside of the fight phase is super, super important because it allows you to bypass having to deal with, you know, your opponent's might, your opponent's uh, strikes, your opponent's high fight value models. It can give you a way of dealing damage to, to models that are otherwise 
you know, undamageable or very, very difficult for you to damage. So keeping that in your back pocket can be really handy for the troll, troll brute. One other thing I should also mention is none of your monster heroes have might. So it's very, very important that you keep uh, a hero, uh, a captain, maybe even Bolg or, or uh, Azog, near your your, uh, your monsters so you can keep them pushing forward and getting into those positions that you uh, need them to be. Uh, particularly with the, uh, the, the catapult, not the catapult troll, but will still work with the catapult troll, particularly the Gundabad troll, really needs a babysitter next to him just to help him move around a bit, help him get into the spots he needs to, and particularly bail him out of trouble if he needs it. Because they've got such big bases, it can be quite easy for your opponent at times to jump on them and trap them, which is not what you want. You don't want to lose your big scary monster to just go down with, with, with you know, minimal effort. So make sure that you keep a captain nearby to either call her at combat to get an untrap, or uh, call heart move to push them forward and get them into a nice, nice spot. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I find that this army, it's it. I didn't realize how much tactics were involved when I first started doing it, but with the combination of these these like incredible like hitting heroes with this infantry that that like we've talked them up quite a lot. They are pretty much basic infantry, so they're, they're only fight three for most of them. I know the Berserkers are a bit higher than that, but you've got to really watch out where you place them. You've got to choose what you go through. You hate fighting against strength four tr- like troops that have lots of them, especially fight four strength four troops like Urukai. So you've got to really be careful about what you do with your troops in order for them to die slow. So you want them to die slow. Now, one of the, the, the heavy skirmish strategies for dying slow is to just not go in combat, to just move and move one inch away from the opponent and just sort of test to see if they'll go in or not whilst you've threatened at other areas and they can make the choice. So you can make these like little diagonal lines where the first model goes in. So you have your your, your, your first models in combat, well and truly there. You move your next model back about an inch. So it's covering the flank, but it's still there and there's the controls on it. And then you move another model an inch back from that one on a diagonal and another one an inch back from that. And you ha- eventually have it so there's more than the amount of models in the opponent has. So if they do engage, they have to choose how many they engage to and they potentially open up their flank for, for being surrounded next turn and giving you more options for your, your Bolg on Wag or your, your Berserkers or your Bats or any of these other fast-moving models to jump into. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeremy. Positioning is such a, a, a big thing with this army because you have... You know, some some bulky, hard-to-move models and some, at times, vulnerable uh, troops. You need to be very, very cautious about where, you, uh, where you're placing your troops and make sure that you're capitalizing on advantages that your opponent gives you uh, when they appear. Because one thing this army uh, cannot afford to do is uh, give up a cherry when it is so freely given. Give up a cherry when it's so freely given. Fair point. That's always remember that with the tactics. You don't want to give up any cherries with this army. Declan, do you have any more to add to these tactics? Yeah. Wow. No wonder you guys win so many tournaments. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. We we, we like to, to people to think that. <laughs> um, I was just going to add as well with the um with the difference in move speed in this army, you, it would be possible to pull a possibly a Picard maneuver or something. 
Yes, it absolutely is. This is this is actually a really good Picard maneuver one because you can get the Berserkers moving with the the Gundabads, and the Ogres are surprisingly good Picard maneuver tactics. Because like with all these tactics, you let people know at the start of the game. Do you know these stats? Keep in mind these guys move eight, but then you don't have to move them eight, and people will will start to like in the heat of battle they'll forget how much your threat range is. Um, Bolg is incredible at the Picard maneuver because it, like with that Falwag, it goes so so fast. But yeah, you're right. You can you can definitely just keep them all the speed. And that's what I was talking about very early on when I was talking about staying like six and a half inches away or whatever. You just move them up slowly, just creep and keep your threat range going and let the opponent like choose their own way of dying. And and that's that's particularly useful. Yeah, this is a good card. That's a good point. I think the um the army bonus can be really useful as well with um with keeping moving, because if you want to be moving a lot with this army, you know, having that master of battle to to copy the heroic move can just, you know, keep you, you know, half a step ahead of your opponent. It's the ultimate bonus, isn't it? Because like you would call the heroic moves if you wanted to, to 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 go in with certain models and to be able to do that for for nothing if you set it up. Just be very careful about where you set up your your master of battle because oftentimes like it's Azog's probably not as big an issue, but it's very tempted to throw them on the flank to try and go for those big outflank type maneuvers where you get to pick up all the juicy soft targets. But if you do that, you can potentially be out of master battle range so there is a real balancing act to be just within that six inch range of the heroes but also out of the range i must admit um, when i've taken bulgy if i'm going that full hide behind the 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 buildings type strategy i do find it sometimes tough to do that and do the master of battle strategy sometimes i have to be prepared to throw away real might with my captains because the positioning of bulg is so important so absolutely use the master of battle but don't overuse it if that makes any sense because you've got to be very careful about like putting Bolg and Azog in the wrong spot. If you do that, that's the quickest way to lose the game with this army. And I think a canny player, um, you know, if they know where your master of battle is, will try and exploit that as well by calling moves outside of their range. Yeah, definitely. But on on top of that as well, your opponent can do the opposite. And like Jeremy said, you got to be very careful where you place your uh, your Bolg, your Azog, and, and your trolls and stuff. Because one thing that this army is susceptible to is... Basically, burnouts. Uh, either the straight up, I'm going to hurt combat straight through your through your you know your basic troops, or the variety where they go right hero one into troll, hero two into troll, strike up hurt combat. Let's let's just mow through the rest of your uh, big scary things because one of the things that your trolls don't have is might to call a strike back. So if your opponent gets the right combination of heroes into one of your juicy targets, they will take it down. Uh, no problem if they're willing to spend the resources. And that's one way uh, players can beat this army is they go basically pedal to the metal as soon as they get in the combat and really, really put the pressure uh, on you quickly by just mowing down your, your basic infantry or, or knocking out you know, a couple of your trolls in a single turn and, and suddenly you're on the back foot because you have no anchor point and uh, your positioning is now... Uh, in a really bad spot because one thing that happens when your big trolls die is they leave a nice big hole for your mm. opponent to consolidate into. To be able to, to mitigate flash kills on trolls is something you have to be be willing to do in this army because if it all does go wrong, I constantly look I constantly doing wound counting. So basically if the opponent has enough attacks to take out my monster in one go, I'm going to assume that they're going to, and then have to set up almost a defensive line around it. But you only have to do it. You need to do it with pretty much only one model because you don't want to get the traps and then hurry up this as well. So you've got to be really careful about 
where you where you commit your monsters. The ogres is not such a big deal because it's only a fifty mil base. But those Gundabad trolls, which which actually are really hard to flash kill because they've got the the four wounds. But the, the troll brutes, I think, are the ones that are actually the biggest problem because you don't have full control over how far they go because you don't know when they're going to stop, and then they they take up such a big footprint and they can be damaged by by small arms means that, that these guys are often the ones that leave that big gap. So they get taken out early. Someone goes in with a, a big hero, calls some heroic combats, gets their fight six into it, and then takes down your troll brute. And then you've got this massive hole. And if you're not careful and you haven't like closed the gap behind it, which Berserkers are great at doing because they've got the speed to get there, means that next turn they can go and run right through that gap and then split off your army into a couple different pockets. And once they do that, you're in a lot of trouble. If you can't maintain a wall with this army, you're going you're gonna to find it difficult to win. Yeah, and I suppose with the troll brute, you could be sometimes tempted to go a little bit further than is wise, and then suddenly you don't kill the model you were hoping to, and you're surrounded by enemies. I know that certainly happened to me against Army of Thraw at least once, where you know Thraw just turned around and you know went straight in and killed him. Yeah, you sometimes have to go a bit conservative. You almost go in little circles with him and just try and like butt up guys in like a little shield wall, but not be too aggressive and just punch forward because the opponent will try and bait you. They'll give you like a banner that's that's. I don't know, something like five inches away and try and get you to run into it past everyone. And when you do it, it's high reward, but it also means you're almost guaranteed to lose your troll afterwards. And sometimes that can be much worse, even if you do take out a value target, to be able to... Like, losing the troll is not a big deal. It's only 100 points. But then losing that spacing and losing that battle line is a big deal. Once you lose your battle line, you could potentially hurry up and lose the whole game. Yeah, 100% agreed, Jeremy. It's... It is how I've managed to get through and, and defeat uh, Gundabad armies and, and, and players is, is, is abusing that fact because, as we said before, positioning is is such a big part of playing this army. But it's, it's a double-edged sword because if you let it go too far one way, it can swing back and, and cut you in half without you without you even realising. I've seen a game where a, a Gundabad, uh, Gundabad troll was sitting in the, basically in the centre of the line there was no real models behind it, and Boromir and Faramir head first charged straight into it. They'd already chipped a wound off it from shooting, and Boromir just went heroic strike. Faramir went heroic combat. They both dropped, you know, four points of might, knocked out the troll, and then wrapped around into the back of the uh, the Gundabad orcs through the gap that they just made, and it completely caused the uh, Gundabad army to to fold in on itself. So you got to watch for those things and. If you're able to prevent it, and and even enemy spellcasters too, bringing your trolls forward and jumping on them that way, so long as you're always keeping in mind, all right, how could a, a flash kill happen? How could my opponent, you know, run in and alpha strike something down? So long as you're keeping that in the back of your mind when you're moving your models, you should be sweet. Yeah, you pretty much have to trap your own trolls. I think when you're up against those spellcasters, because the the compels and and those sort of movement spells really are because it's such a big model and and it's so much of your battle line it can cause a huge amount of problems so i'll happily devote three gundabad orcs to being on troll duty and like two of them go on the side and because you've got such a big base you can have them guard in the front but he can still be at your front line as well because of the way the circle works which is really handy and then you just get one guy at the back who if they do get like hit he can back away because one model can back away when they're about to get trapped. So the classic formation for those big, big 80 mil base models is the triangle of models like around it. So two of them are on the sides. 
ready to, to defend the flanks, and one of them's at the very, very rear to make sure that no compels or sentinels or any silly stuff like that is moving them around. And also it means that they can back away, and, and they're also a nice guard for, for exactly that, the flash kill, and then you need some model in there just to, to hold up a hero and put a control zone on them. Yeah, so just um, setting them in your battle sitting them in your battle line or sort of on the flank at least where the guard seems to be the way to go with these guys i would even on the flank i'll still have the guard because the mm. on the flank they're even more susceptible to be being moved in the bad spots because they can drag them almost forward and then throw lots of stuff into them so yeah the guard is is a good option it does mean that they cost more uh, berserkers are great guards because they they don't mind being on the flank they're good hitters they can move fast and like other ogres, uh, who cares if, if they move your ogres around? But your big 120 point Gundabad trolls, you really want to make sure that they're in the right spot. Catapult trolls probably don't care as much because they can at least do the catapult and still threaten. But yeah, you've got to got to be careful with those monsters. Their their bases is is definitely a strength, but definitely a weakness as well. And whoever's exploiting that will definitely get the most out of the monsters, whether it's you or whether it's your opponent. Don't let it be your opponent, Gundabad players. We need to need to keep winning with these guys. They're good. Good fun. So that's our main tactics for keep it secret, keep it safe. There's definitely more things you can do with this army because there is so much different combinations of warriors. So definitely try your own and, and see what you can get out of it. It's one that's it's got so many hidden layers that it's definitely worth giving a try. We'll be back with some of the scenarios. Scenario Spotlight. So, you're in for a treat, listeners. We have lots and lots of Gundabad scenarios from the old There and Back Again supplement, which I still... I still consider it being quite current. It's got enough scenarios that are very playable, and they work quite well with the new rules. So we're going to look at, first of all, the breakthrough, and then follow that by the ultimate price, and then the last stand of the company. The Breakthrough. From atop Ravenhill, Azog has commanded his legions of orcs, trolls, and ogres to attack Dale with full force. As his signal tower issues his orders, huge troll catapults smash holes in the city walls, providing the orcs with new entrances into the stronghold. Planning to surround their adversaries, Azog's army now marches to seize the city. If successful, this would force the alliance of men, elves, and dwarves to fight on two fronts. As Gandalf realises that Azog is trying to cut the alliance of men, elves and dwarves off from Dale, Bard commands his men to return to the city with great haste, breaking through the orc lines. The men of Eskaroth must march and fight with renewed desperation to reach Dale, for if Bard and his men fail to reach the city in time, then it will be overrun, and those within the walls will be at the mercy of the orc hordes. The breakthrough is on a 2x2 two two board, 2x2 two foot two foot board. It's a very small board at the moment. And you have, as participants, the good models of Bard on horse, Gandalf the Grey, Bilbo Baggins, the Master Burglar, of course, because it's a Hobbit era. And then you've got 12 Lake Town Militia, which is a very affordable amount of Lake Town Militia compared to some of the scenarios. Four of them have shield, four have spear, four have bow. Really nice participants on the good side, and you can tell already where the story's going for. On the evil side, you have two Gundabad Orc Captains, one Catapult Troll, the model that's not available at the moment, but you can definitely fill something with this if you want to. And then 18 Gundabad Orc Warriors, 9 have Shield, and 9 have Spear. So in most of the scenarios, you would need your Gundabad Orcs with Spears. So if you're like basically going on 
you're being conservative with the amount of models you have and you don't want to make duplicates of all of them, I would recommend somehow maybe putting some magnets for, for guys with shields or some blue tag or something like that so you can give them shields when you're playing them in the, the points match games and keep the shields off when they're they're in the scenarios or just have anything with spear doesn't count as being able to use their shield in the scenario as well because like the it's it's like like the Moran and Orcs in, in the Return of the King you've got some options that are a bit strange and, and options you probably wouldn't use normally so we lay out we're on a two by two board as we say it's outside the walls of Dale the center of the northern border edge is the gatehouse of Dale a stone causeway leading towards the gates providing the only way in the causeway so of course this little ramp thing is six inches long by two inches wide enough to have a cavalry model move along but not enough to have three models on foot across i like how they're so specific here so it's basically two models on foot or a cav model the rest of the battlefield is scarce with a few bushes and rocky outcrops so once again very easy to make this terrain you have to make a little causeway and then away you go the starting positions, a good player is within three inches of the center of the southern board edge so right opposite the causeway and the evil player deploys there an army anywhere within three inches of either the eastern or western board edges, which are the sides of the board. So the goods have got this open run at the causeway, and the evil's on either side, which is an interesting setup. Uh, you win as a good player if Bard, Gandalf, or Bilbo reach the city of Dale by moving through the gates up the causeway, of course. If the evil player can kill either Bard, Gandalf, or Bilbo before they reach Dale, it's a draw. The evil player wins if they can slay two of those heroes. So they're just trying to kill heroes. They don't care about the 12 warriors in support, although killing them is probably pretty handy. Special rules, fall back to Dale. Bard is aware of the importance of reaching Dale before the orcs. So he needs to call a heroic march every turn without reducing his store of might. He doesn't need to, but he can call a heroic march every turn without reducing his store of might. So you're moving fast. Then we are legion classic rule the Gundabad warriors return not the Gundabad, uh ca- not the catapult troll not the captains the warriors just keep showing up so you can't win by just killing the warriors well killing warriors is handy but they will show up later on radagast staff with his magical staff destroyed by the necromancer gandalf is gifted a new one by his loyal friend radagast the brown of course that's good but you know what it's not always reliable so this is a cool special rule whenever gandalf declares he's casting magic power declare how many will points are being used then roll a single d6 before the cast so you get to roll another dice which is always fun in games workshop games they love to roll extra dice but this time if the results are one or a two then the magical power is not cast and any will declare as lost so it often encourages you to do little cheap spells with gandalf that aren't aren't game winning because you two two thirds of the time they'll they'll go off and one third of the time, you won't even get a chance to. So you don't want to, to to throw out your big spell too early. Declan, you've been playing through this one recently. What's your experience been like? I have, yes. I played it just on my own yesterday because we're current, currently in lockdown in New Zealand. And um, it was I found just found it so much fun just having to get, you know, just some real Lord of the Rings participants, like just this ragtag group. Yeah, just a wizard and a hobbit and and a you know, hero of men uh, with just a just a handful of guys just across the board. I actually made a little mistake and I've made this mistake both times I've played the scenario and played it on a four by four board instead of a two by two. Oh, wow. But, okay. That, that's oh. classic green dragon. We love to make mistakes in our scenarios. <laughs> yeah. But I actually found that it worked really well. I didn't have sort of any trouble. I even forgot to use Bard's heroic march for the first few turns just because I, I just didn't realize it was there. I didn't read it properly. Yeah, that would mean the evil side would take a lot longer to get to combat, and the We Are Legion would be, like, you get to use it more often, but they'll take longer to get there. But you've, that's mitigated by the longer journey that the good side has. So you might have actually stumbled upon something that doesn't make a difference in the game, potentially. Absolutely, yeah. And it's then it just becomes a longer journey to get everyone 
across the other side of the board. But um, I think however it goes, you're still trying to cast um, Blinding Light with Gandalf. So that's your go-to. Do you channel it? Is it channel it the one that it stays till exhaustion? Yes, yes. yes. I channeled it. I channeled it in the first turn, and um, I cast it successfully, and then I rolled for Radagast stuff, and I rolled a one, and I was gutted. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, uh, gosh. And um, so I, I followed up next turn, burnt another will point, and, um, and yeah, thankfully it went off that time. So the catapult troll just sort of woke up and thought, oh, I've got to start moving now, and started sort of plotting its way along the board at six inches a turn. And, um, yeah, I with the orcs, I just found I just figured I should just set them up to kind of do a bit of a pincer move. So I set half of them up on one side, half of them up on the other, did a, did a march with both first turn. And, yeah, it was just a really, really enjoyable scenario. The good side has just enough might to make it work, I found, although might, that might have just been the case on the bigger board because um, I found I was calling moves with, you know, some of... I was trying not to call moves with Bard because I... I really knew I that I need his might for, you know, combats. But um you know, Bilbo tends to be, you know, the the go to for that one. And just I I was almost burnt out of stats. I had one warrior, I had three three heroes alive on the bridge, and I Gandalf had been reduced down to one wound, no fate. It was just really tense and it's the sort of game you sort of really, really remember. Bilbo Baggins the master burglar himself, I just found him absolutely invaluable. When he wasn't calling heroic moves, he was he put on the ring and he would just stand there, just far enough away for Gundabad orcs not to want to charge him. He could, you know, sit on a flank. He could because if they if they try and you know charge him, and they don't succeed, then they can't actually. Is it? Am I right in thinking they can't actually do anything that turn? Yes, yes. It's like a failed failed courage test, and it's really hard to charge a ring bearer. Yeah, yeah. So he's just this great little just this great little tactical piece that you can use and um i just didn't found i didn't really have any problems moving up him up past the line and then just you know jumping him in the back when i needed him to and then just running away afterwards because of course he moves slower and you want to keep him moving while everything else is in combat yeah that's that's a good point i feel like he's he's a good troll defense as well because what it's a troll catapult which is not the fearless troll as well so potentially it's a very brave move but putting putting bilbo in front of a troll ooh, yeah, as a last resort, not a bad move. I mean, if you went in with um, Gandalf with the strength five and Bard with his three attacks, and then Bilbo even with his strength three and the ring, um, you could have a, a shot at taking down that that troll catapult if you were, you know, a bit lucky and if you're able to do it over a couple of turns. Well, you know, your your friends held held everything yeah. off. The troll catapult in my game didn't actually make um, combat, but. Very true. The, the heroes can definitely take that on, and, and that's that's the ideal combination. Unfortunately, the Gundabad Orcs are probably going to be doing their best to, to avoid that as well and try and peel one of them off. Because, yes, Bilbo's hard to charge, but Bard's not. And Gandalf, maybe, if he's got his channel terror, but if he's got his normal terror, you have a go at that. Yeah, I didn't even think about putting um, putting Terrifying Aura up in this one. I was just so focused on, um, on first of all, getting Blinding Light. And then, um, towards the end, I started having some really good luck with my... Um, uh, Radagast staff rolls, and I was just able to compel the um, compel the catapult troll away every t- every turn, and just sort of keep it, you know, keep it from doing anything. Uh, once I got Bard, Bilbo, and Gandalf to the um, to the board edge, I was Bilbo was a turn away from being able to get off. Both Bard and Gandalf were able to get off, and I I was about to run Gandalf off, and I thought, hell no, I don't want to do this. He needs. He, he, first of all, he hasn't used his last point of will because he was down to almost zero will at that point, and um, and then I just, if I if he leaves now, then I lose my um, blinding light defense, and the, that 
that troll will just be um you know hurling a rock at Bard and Bilba, maybe killing them. That would be terrible. It's a classic um, Exodus scenario, isn't it? Isn't it? You just yeah. gotta you get them get them all off in the same turn. Don't try and get some of them off individually because as soon as you do that, the the remainders get picked off. Mm. And so what ended up happening was Bard turned around, charged into the orcs that were following him across the bridge. Didn't you know call a combat or anything because he was out of might. Just while Bilbo got a, got a turn closer, and then I just figured, okay, he's just gonna stand there and hold up till. I get priority, and thankfully I got an extern. Everyone ran off. It was so much fun. I would love to try that one again. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I definitely wanted to give this one a try, <laughs> and I've got a, I've got a catapult troll model that I'm going to put together, something suitable for it. I, I find it tactically. I, I was very interested in because it's on such a small board, like whether the catapult troll tries to stay back out of 12 inches and use its catapult, or whether it just says throw caution to the wind, shoot at first turn, and then try and run into combat ASAP. And then don't worry about the twelve inches. And I feel like the probably the the combat might be the way to go with this one because you could use its massive base to block up a lot of space. Yeah, and even if even after I cast the blinding light, the catapult troll managed to roll a six twice, which <laughs> was just which was pretty devastating because I you know would lose you know three four guys every time, but I'd you know have it set up so that whichever hero I aimed for, I'd still be able to you know me as the good player would be able to scatter it onto another. It's a bit weird talking about a game when you're playing both sides. Yes, and I like that you're devastated as well. Like It does feel like that when you're playing a scenario. Like, Kylie and I have played a lot of scenarios together and we often end up both like cheering for the same side. Like We're both cheering for good even though I'm playing evil and I'm trying my best to kill them. I still want them to win and it feels similar, doesn't it? Like You've got those heroes. You don't want to die to a catapult but you really want to be aggressive your catapult troll and have some fun with it. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of uh, connection. You almost want the the game to end uh, like right as close to the wire as physically possible, but you don't want to feel cheated out of the game either. So you're constantly always applying pressure, and it's one of the reasons I love coming around and just you know smashing out a few scenarios each other each and every other night. Yeah, it's good fun. We might have to do them. Um on Skype or something like that at some point now that, that we, we're all locked at home. But yeah, so that's that's one that, Kylie, I've been eyeing off. So I know that Declan's played it, so I definitely want to get his opinion on that one. So I, that, was, that was my own selfish sort of one. The next one is definitely one that we both played, Kylie. It's called The Ultimate Price. The Ultimate Price. Thranduil has ordered the charge of elves towards the city of Dale. However, in his recklessness, the king has left his bodyguards behind. Upon his mighty elk, Thranduil charges alone through the gates of Dale, cutting down orc after orc until his mount is treacherously shot from under him. Rising to his feet, Thranduil finds himself in the courtyard of stone, surrounded by countless orcs thirsty for the elven king's blood. Now comes a time to show his true skill in combat. Failure to cut down the orcish hordes will not only result in his death, but surely the routing of his army from the battle that rages without. So in this one, we're on a 4 by 4 board. So this is once again in the city of Dale. So we've got lots of ruins around. We've got our participants, lovely models here. Thranduil, the king of the, the Mirkwood realm. So he's on foot. We've got one Mirkwood captain and 24 Mirkwood elves. 8 shield, 8 glaive, 8 bow. On evil, we have two Gundabad Orc captains and 24 Gundabad Orcs. So 12 and 12. 12 shield, 12 spear. Reasonable amount of models. Good numbers. Thranduil starts in the middle of the board. Everything else, all the other good models are in reserve, which is interesting. So they come on, they're walking on later on. 
The evil player deploys their models anywhere with at least six inches away from Thranduil. So what they're doing is basically being six and a mil away. So second turn, they're going to go charge in. The objectives, Thranduil has to stay alive for 10 turns. And then the Gundabad has to kill him once and for all. So they have to just kill him outright before the 10th turn. There is no way to draw this scenario. So it's very, very simple. The Orcs come back through reinforcements with We Are Legion. So you just throw them into the Randall. Away you go. In reinforcements, uh, basically the Elves, from the second move phase, they bring all their models kept in reserve from the western board edge uh, via the reinforcement rules. So they come on second turn, they're, they're running, they're trying to fight through any orcs in the way, and they're trying to get to Thranduil and then protect him, essentially. And then Thranduil gets a special rule that he can call a heroic combat each turn without expending might. Now, this one, I'm going to say straight out, was pretty bad in the old rules for one reason and one reason only. Thranduil didn't want to call a heroic combat because he had to strike. Because in the old rules, the, both Gundabad or captains could strike. And that spelled the end of Thranduil pretty much every time. If they struck, they would win and then they'll take him out. So in the new rules where you cannot strike with the Gundabad or captains, suddenly it feels like it's, an, it's a game. It feels like it's what it should have been. Mm. Declan, you've played this one as well. I have, yes. What first thing I found was that I looked at the board and I looked at you know where Thranduil is on the board, looked at where the reinforcements come in, and I thought, you know what, I don't have you know a four by four of city, but I do have a two by two of city. So I thought, hmm, if I just bring the reinforce the elven reinforcements in, um, maybe two turns later, then I could probably just play it on a smaller board. Uh, as it turns out, I found that I do actually need it is probably more interesting on a larger board, but um, that's as yeah, so Thranduil, it's just such a good scenario for showing him off because you know he you know charges in on his elk, the elk shot out from under him. He you know rises from the dust. It'd be fun actually if you had to roll a you know a throne rider or something just at the beginning of the scenario to determine how we you know start the game. But anyways, um, just going straight into Gundabad orcs, I darted off to the side immediately and just sort of started to make try and make a break for the um getting back to the board edge where the elves would come on so that I could, you know, screen him off as soon as possible. But I did get quite, you know, cocky with him at some point because he was just, you know, running into a couple guys, a couple more would run out on. He'd call the combat. He'd kill them all. He wouldn't care. And um, another interesting thing is with the fight value of seven, he's actually able to feint very, you know, convincingly against um, the regular troops. And the captains, now that they can't heroic strike, they don't actually want to go into him because they want the might for later when they're going to be fighting a, you know, a a glittering host of elves. Yeah, or just for heroic moves, just to pin him in certain spots and and, mm. and separate it because you you don't want the elves to join in. Like that's the worst thing for the the evil player because if the elves can join in, then you can only throw one or two guys into him a turn, then you just can't kill him. You need to be trapping him pretty much every turn. But if you trap him, he gets extra attacks. So sometimes you end up doing the like sneaky trap where you throw a guy in and then the friends around like a millimeter away around the sides, so there's only one guy in combat and then. Like the others can, like they help get the trap later on, but still, that's a very uh, slow way of killing him. I, I actually recommend they just throw everything in at all times and just see what you can do, and just hope that that he doesn't roll a six and you you manage to get one or a five or something that's that's nice and high. But you definitely got to keep those elves away because if they join him up and he gets to hide amongst those elves, uh, he's in trouble. But I find the elves end up dying pretty quickly as well. Like the Gundabads are a pretty good match for the Mirkwood elves. So that they, it's not like it's a guarantee that they all get there. The the Gundabad orcs that, that are we are legion aren't afraid to throw into combat with the elves either. Hmm. 
I found one of the really interesting tactics with Thranduil is rather than trying to get as many attack attacks as possible is actually making some use of those combats so throwing it against the wall into a corner i mean the orcs are going to charge in and then it's like well i've got less of you to kill i can just you know chop chop away and then just charge further towards the um the elven boardage yeah that's a good point and that, that's also dangerous but but yeah you're right there's a less, lot less evil dice going against you and and even then if you do lose it you get the trap but then you might only cop four attacks back which is not the end of the world, really, because he's got enough wounds to be able to, to, to tank that. There's only so many fights you're going to botch in 10 turns as well. So that that's the, the double-edged sword of the heroic combats as well, is it because you're fighting more combats, there's more chance for a botch as well. So That's true, yeah. I actually found that um, I was thinking in the early turns of the game, oh, he's never going to watch. He's just going to keep rolling sixes. And then I get to something like, you know, turn five or turn six, and he rolls a four highest. And I was like, oh, great. I have to spend two points of might. The other thing is, the Gundabad or Captains, I think you want them for the heroic moves and things, but they're mm. also a really good tank for Thrandall because of the the way the defense and the strength line up. So having them one-on-one is really good because they potentially stop his heroic combats quite well and give you time to, to take down the elves and set up for a turn. So I think they're much better now that they can't strike from yeah. the scenario point of view. Yeah, and one thing I one thing I found with them as well, later, uh, later in the game after the elves had arrived, Thrandall had ended up on just... One wound, no fate, just sitting there cowering behind his elven line. And the elves were all sort of scattered because they'd been broken up to take on, you know, different um, different orcs that had been coming on. And they were trying to sort of shield them off Thranduil. And this orc captain, at the beginning of the turn, the good side the good side was out of might. He just sort of turned turned his head, shouted something in orcish. And then just like it, time was frozen. And he, as he is an... As, he and his friends just advanced through the host of elves, just darting around their control zones and all just piled onto Thranduil and he was terrified. Thankfully, in the I could take some of them off, just some of the spearmen off, and in the ensuing fight phase, Thranduil rolled a six. Then he turned around, rolled three sixes and chopped the captain's head off. <laughs> cool. Such yeah. a cool moment. <laughs> Yeah, you get good. That's so much better than the old ones, Kylie. Do you remember when we played it? We played it multiple times, and it was just the um, yeah. the Gundabad or captain just walking in, striking in. Thranduil ends up surviving a couple turns because he strikes as well. But once he's out of might, he just he's yeah. in trouble. I remember. I remember the very like it was either the first or the second time we ever played it. Both captains got into into Thranduil. Both struck up, got to the higher fight. Thranduil, you know, rolls the one and then just popped him in a single turn. It was just like. Well, that was the game. Want to <laughs> yes. reset? And it was just, yeah, it was, it was just a bit really disappointing. But I think under the new rules, it'll be much more of a interesting game. Yeah. So that mm. that leads to my theory that I actually think there and back again was probably played with some of the new rules, if not all of them, because I feel like they just did not make sense. Like the gun to battle captains are in almost every scenario, and they that that strike just kills most of the scenarios because they can just go and take down the heroes like really easily. So it's good that they don't have it now. We move on to our third scenario. Last stand of the company. Thorin has taken his best and most trusted warriors, Kili, Fili, and Dwal, and with him to Ravenhill, leaving Dane and the remainder of the company to hold back the vast numbers of orcs and other creatures swarming outside Erebor. Surrounded and outnumbered, there is not much hope for those left. They will, however, use all their remaining strength to fight to the bitter end in the name of their king. In a heroic battle to the death, the dwarves must defend the lonely mountain from the legions of orcs that are bearing down upon them. 
Should they fall, then Erebus' open gates will be overrun and fall under the control of Sauron. Should the orcs take control of the mountain, then it would surely pave the way for the fell kingdom of Angmar to rise again once more. Should that come to pass, then Middle-earth would be cast into shadow, and Dale, Mirkwood, and all east of the Misty Mountains would be in dire peril. Can Dane Ironfoot lead the dwarves of Erebor to victory, or will Azog's forces wipe out what is left of the company of Thor and Oakenshield and seal the fate of Middle-earth? So the last stand of the company is a little guilty pleasure scenario. I really like this one. Quite iconic. The participants are Dane Ironfoot, and we're assuming he's on foot here. So Ironfoot on foot. Biffa, Bofa, Bomba, Ori, Nori, Dori, uh, Oin, Gloin, and then 24 Iron Hills Dwarves with Spear and Shield. I'm not reading out after every one of the Dwarves Champion of Erebor because that gets tedious, and I'm sure I've used that joke before. <laughs> so there's, there's basically the company that didn't go up with the goats and go attack, um, was it Ravenhill? So they, they basically stayed back and fought about uh, fought with a, a Gundabad Horde. Now, the Gundabad Horde is really cool in this one. You've got three Orc Captains. You've got three Gundabad Trolls. So three Gundabad Trolls already. You've got a Troll Brute. You've got six Warbats and 36 Gundabad Orcs. So you've got a lot of models and a lot of interesting models. Four Trolls, six Bats, and lots of Orcs, as well as the Captains, is a really, really nice combination of forces. You're on a 4 by 4 board, which is just a bunch of rocks around. The good player's in the center, and the evil player sets up at least six inches away. So you're surrounded. You're basically encircled. You don't have a huge amount of models. You've got a good amount of Iron Hills Dwarves, but you, you, you're in a bit of trouble. There's a lot of guys to take on. The dwarves have to survive for 10 turns. The good player scores a point for every dwarf hero left alive. And the evil player scores a point for every dwarf hero that's been slain. Most points is the winners. Just a cool, simple way of doing the scenario. Just kill the dwarf heroes. So the Iron Hills warriors are totally expendable. The heroes are not. We are Legion special rules. So again, the Gundabad orcs just keep coming back. So you keep throwing them into the heroes. They keep dying. They keep coming back. Great fun. Now, this one is a good one. Both of the Troll Riders. So this is this is what it's all about. You know that the Troll Brute model has a Bofa that you can put up the top. You can magnetize it if you're clever like I did and be able to swap with Bofa instead of the Gundabad Orc. He's able to get onto the top of the Troll Brute and take control of this boar beast. So if you, if Bofa in particular wins a dual roll against the Troll Brute, the good player can declare, that it, can declare that they have taken control of it, which means they will. Remove Bofa from the board. And then, of course, you swap over the top rider as well if you've set it up for it. Uh, so then the good side gets a troll brute. You treat it as a good model from that point onwards. If the troll brute is slain, Bofa is automatically thrown and placed back on the board, which is amazing as well. So they can't even get him by taking out the brute. They've got to go kill the brute and then Bofa. So that, that's pretty handy. Warbats, uh, you've got the giant warbats from the start of turn six. So they take a while to get on. Start of turn six, they arrive, reinforcements from the northern board edge. Uh, and basically, it's so a turn like eight. They're, they're swooping over and attacking anyone that's not engaged, which is good fun. And then the Fury of Erebor, our final rule. Dwarf heroes must re-roll rolls of one. Nice and simple, and it gets rid of all those special strike thoughts quite a lot. This is just a fun scenario. We played it as a demonstration game uh, on the, this, the, the night of one of the Masters that we had in Melbourne. Mm. And it was so much fun. We had lots of people involved, lots of people controlling trolls, lots of people controlling dwarves, lots of people moving models around. And it just felt 
it felt really narrative. Every hero mattered. Every hero was doing heroic things. The, the trolls were getting killed, but they took a while to get killed. The orcs were getting killed in droves, but they were threatening as well because some of the, the Iron Hills, usually the Iron Hills dwarves ended up taking on the Gundabads, and then the, the heroes tried to gang up on the trolls to take them out early on, but they couldn't get to all of them at all times. We did manage to get both for grabbing the troll brute, which is, you can do as the, the good player because you can set up formations where you can basically put both for in reserve. You make a circle, and then wherever the troll brute comes in, Bofa goes and, and joins in, and you just set it up, and you make sure that you strike if you have to. You do whatever it takes to win that combat, and then you jump on, you start killing Gundabad Orcs with the troll brute, which is always good fun. So, I, I just, this scenario is just so cool, and I actually think it's one of my favorites from the, the Hobbit stuff, because it's it's really good. The only fault I've got the scenario is that in the picture on the page, on page 62, you've got the very top Gundabad Orc in the middle, has a very unfortunate looking limp sword there. So other than that, everything is great in the scenario. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jeremy. This was an absolute blast to play on the Masters. In fact, I think I feel like we got way more of a crowd and people got way more into this game than they did during their actual Masters games, which is kind of kind of a testament to how cool of a scenario it was. I know I had three players on, on my side uh, controlling the... Um, the Iron Hills, and there were three up to three. I think even up to what one point four players controlling the Gundabads, and it was it was just kind of like a an all round, just kind of group party game session type thing. It was a really good atmosphere. The scenario is really fun, and there's lots of options with the heroes and what you can and can't do. And but the thing that I absolutely love is the game came right down to the wire. Right on the last turn was when we got the uh, was the, the win and lose conditions, and, and that's what you want in a scenario for it to come right down to the uh, to the wire. And it was funny, wasn't it? Because like the the good side was well and truly intact till about like the eighth turn or something, and then they started dropping, and it was it felt like one more turn, the evil side would have just taken it all out and taken them all off. So it was really really tense. I can't remember who won, but I remember it being close. And I think you're right. I think we had like four players, one controlling each troll, and then a bunch of Gundabad orcs, and, and everyone just had a ball with it. Yeah, this looks like su- such a fun scenario, and I have to admit, I haven't, I haven't actually, um, I haven't actually played this one. It's upstairs. I've got everything set up to play it. I just never quite got around to it. It's real. It reminds me of the old Fellowship ones because each hero matters what you're doing with them, but it's also a bit more grindy and a bit more offensive because, like. Every hero is a fighter. Every hero is really tough to kill. Every hero is a superhero. But the Gundabad Orcs, all they have to do is roll a six, and they're re-rolling ones, and they suddenly start doing the wounds to the heroes as well. So you don't have the best of the the dwarves. You have some good ones. Um, I don't know why in the picture they've got Dwalin in the picture. That's a bit odd because he definitely wasn't in it. I think the person who did that picture was a bit lazy, that one, with the limp sword and Dwalin. But other than that, it's it's cool participants because it gives a story for those ones that quite honestly, you don't often take in, in games. It usually ends up being Thorin and Killian Philly and Dwalin and Barlin, but having all the others there playing your own with Dane on foot, not even on goat, against a horde of just way too many orcs, so many orcs. We would have killed probably like 60, 70 orcs, I reckon, but oh, it's good fun. Yeah, it certainly looks like a lot of fun. A lot of the time with these um with these dwarves, you're using the um sort of the rules from the standard Thorin's company that you don't always pay attention to like Oin with his little banner and Ori must be amazing in this scenario with his um chronicler rule because you've got so many monsters around and a couple um couple captains 
Yeah, that that one's a, a good one. They're all the aggressive ones. They're all the the full armor. But yeah, all those interactions are really cool to keep track of. And that's where it's kind of good as well to have multiple players because if you give someone a few dwarves, they get to like shout out and, and argue with everyone else. No, I need to be there. I've got the rule for this guy. And and like I remember, Kylie, was it someone got really annoyed because someone went to kill the troll brute and it wasn't uh, Bofa. And then the the Bofa player got annoyed and said, no, no, you cannot kill that. Don't kill that yet. I need to go and take it. And, and there's a bit of a, a fight over that in true Dwarvish fashion, which is always good fun. <laughs> I that like was a good moment. I think, that, I, think the, I think it was Matt uh, who had was – it, was it Matt? I'm not sure. Remember. Sounds like a Matt thing. I can't remember who it was, but they basically ended up screw you both, and we just went all in to try and uh, to kill kill the troll and left it on one wound. Just <laughs> couldn't quite get the uh, the pips on the dice to kill it, so it was just lucky. We got both up on that troll, although both did dry die falling off the troll later on. So yeah, but it's, it's a good a way to die. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a good fun scenario. I I do. Look, if anyone's got the Hobbit models, I know it's a huge amount of models, that one, but it's it feels like it was worth it. Some of the scenarios, you go to all the effort and then they're not really worth it. That one really did. I can't wait to play it again. That was good fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, um, I'm actually building this massive Erebor board, which I'll definitely be putting up more photos of as, I, um, as, as it goes on. But yeah, this one just... I've set it up and it looks amazing because I've got like the two dwarf statues that came out as bookends. I've got like the river... Like the... um. Yeah, you know, where they charge out of the gate, and I've got the ice river coming down the side, and then this is just happening right in the middle of the board, just surrounded by orcs, and oh, it just looks stunning. Fantastic! Once once all these travel restrictions die out, Declan, I'm gonna have to have to make my pilgrimage to to New Zealand, and I definitely definitely would want to get some of these scenarios in because, as listeners know, I'm a big fan of the Hobbit era scenarios. Like what you think about the movie, I think it's different to what you can think about the scenarios as well, and I just I just love this sort of the dwarves and the Gundabads and, and these sort of battles. And I think some of them on your boards, which I've seen you develop them, would just be phenomenal. Thanks, yeah. That'll be amazing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to happen at some point. But who knows when? Who knows when? So that's our scenarios. We could go through all of them. There's so many in there and back again. <laughs> you know that someday they're going to redo all those scenarios and, and give us a, a Hobbit journey book again, which once again I'll happily buy because I had so much fun with them the first time. But hopefully we get some of the models for those missing profiles as well. We've got one more segment to go. Mustering an army. So mustering an army, we have quite a few different lists. Declan and I have made the list. Kylie is going to to pull them apart potentially or tell <laughs> us that we need to take the same list every single time. I'm going to start Sit with one. back and be judged. Be judged. I'm prepared to be judged. And Kylie, I'm ready to be judged. I have a whopping 350 points to spend on my army. So I'm, I'm going for like absolute minimized level of gaming this is a small 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 level and i think this army can do it obviously i'm not going to get my army special rule i'm not going to get my master battle but i don't need it because i am taking a gundabad or captain with shield of course i'm going to take a gundabad orc warrior with banner spear and shield all of them this guy doesn't matter 
doesn't care about getting his banner dirty with a spear. He's happy to, to use it in that way. I've got five Gundabad Orcs with shield. No spear, nothing else. Just shield. So these are shield guys because shield is such a good weapon. I've got three Gundabad Berserkers with no extra weapons because I really couldn't afford them. I've got a Gundabad Troll with Scythe Gauntlets. So once again, we talked about the choice of the Scythe or the Crushing Club. I like the Scythe. And in addition, I've got two Warbats. So I've got 13 models at 350 points. I've got a Fight 7 Gundabad Troll. I've got the speed of the three Berserkers and two Warbats. And I've got the ultimate shield wall of five shields with a banner behind them and a captain. What do you think of that? I don't mind it, but I think that Gundabad troll needs to be something smaller. I think it needs to be something like a uh, a brute maybe or maybe an ogre. I think you need the might. Only two points of might at 350. That's not a lot of might. And, you know, if someone brings in any decent striking hero, that uh, that Gundabad troll could go down uh, in a hurry. Yeah, that is... That's true, but still, to get to strike, to get to fight seven is is not the easiest thing in the world for a striker. And I feel like I needed that high fight as well. I could probably get away with it. I could probably drop it for an ogre and then go for a little cheeky warband of a um a goblin captain and two goblins or something something silly like that to to get some extra might in the army or just another Gundabad captain, which is a good fighter as well. So the, there is some options there. Um, I could also probably drop the bats down as well to go something cheaper and get some more points. So if I dropped, say, my Gundabad troll to a brute and dropped uh, the two bats, I could get a captain that way as well, which is a, a decent option. Mm-hmm. But it's I was trying to get like what I was thinking would be a really cool warband, just a single warband, and go really low. Um, obviously, this army functions better with Bolgarazog, but I still think it's okay. You've got enough options with the monsters for, for low points. Yeah, yeah, as I said, I, I don't mind it for that specific reason. Like you got you got a lot of tools in your toolbox in that list. Problem is, if you lose one of those tools, you're going to be in uh, some some uh, some trouble. Uh, what do you think, Declan? Um, yeah, I was just thinking. I actually really like the shields in this list because essentially what they're doing is just moving up and just taking up space and shielding while the rest of the list is doing the damage. Yeah, I actually um, also I really like the warbat uh the warbats at this point level because you aren't going to come across too much that's going to be moving 12 inches unless it's like a moria bat or something yeah it's a, a sneaky fast army with with three berserkers and two bats it means that that little hitting group of five guys can take on anything on the flanks the the troll i can use is like like kylie shepherding rule i basically put it on one side of my army and there's not a lot at 350 that can can reliably take down a troll if there is a hero and they go at the troll i can always just play the play the run backwards game and try and avoid it for a little bit but you're right that that thin wall of gundabad orc with shield means that like, I haven't bothered the spears because they just need to, to maintain that, that line. Uh, at 350 points, spears often don't play a huge part because you, you're often, like, you're playing on a big enough board that you can just start wrapping around and get lots of one-on-one combats or everything in base contact. So I think it's got some potential. It definitely will look imposing because you've got those bats and you've got the big, big base Gundabad Troll. Like, no one wants to take Gundabad Troll at 350 points without their Boromir. Hmm. I was also thinking if you could cons- if you consider consolidating uh, two of those Gundabad Orcs with shield into a Berserker, um, then you would have an extra space in your warband and you could uh, split your Gundabad Troll right down the middle into two Ogres. <laughs> That's true as well. Yeah, that would be 
that would probably be more reliable, I would say. So you're mm. saying drop a because because then you've got two monsters in different spots. What do you think, Kyla? You've made a noise. Mm. I, I'm I'm not too sure because the, the five seven is a big deal at that points level. There's not much that can go. Uh, heads up, even even Glorfindel, if say he shows up and is going to go heads heads up against your Gundabatro, I'm not sure Glorf is going to uh, going to win that fight heads like straight up. I think uh, I think there's more. I, I think the fire seven is more important than um, than uh, initially like you initially see. I can definitely see that, but I was um I was also thinking that the um, the warbats could also could do a pretty good job of dealing with Glorfindel, even if they're just running over the top of him and knocking him to the ground every turn. True, but you've got to get him off his horse first. Is the key? Ah, uh, that so, is true. Yes, so yes, they're great at infantry models. They love going at like those dwarf heroes or anything that's there. You just not keep knocking them over. But anything that's that's on a horse, that's a problem because I don't have anything that can take out the horse before combat, except for the hurl with the Gundabad troll. So I've got to be mm. got to be a bit clever about that. And my models are pretty low, quite frankly. It's three fifty points. Normally, people are going for like maybe twenty models at three fifty points, and I've got thirteen. So I've I've gone for an elite army. But the nice thing about the elite army is that it still takes up lots of space. Like the Gundabad wall and the troll can take up quite a line. I can go for like a five six inch line with that one, which is often enough for a battle line. And then I've got enough quick-moving flankers. The bats can jump over the lines and create some traps. The Gundabad or Captain can be pretty conservative with his might. I don't mind being charged, but if I set up a heroic combat with the troll or with some berserkers, I could do some damage here. Kylie's right. I am lower might, but at 350, I've got such big hitters that I might be able to, to mitigate that. Declan, your first list. All right. Uh, which one would you like me to start with? Your uh, just might. I might just go lowest to highest in that case. Yep. All right. So... 750 points. My leader is a Gundabad Orc Captain with shield. I kind of miss the days where we could have um, uh, Gundabad Orc Captains with the Master of Battle, because then they kind of felt like a really unique hero all of their own. Mm, Agreed. Yeah. Yes, so Gundabad Orc Captain with shield, and he is leading five Gundabad Orc Warriors with shield, four Gundabad Orc Warriors with spear and shield, uh, one Gundabad Warrior with banner and shield, a catapult troll, and a warbat. Then the next... Warband, I have a Gundabad Orc Captain with Shield, five Gundabad Orc Warriors with Shield, four Gundabad Orc Warriors with Spear and Shield, Catapult Troll, and two Warbats this time. Double Catapult Troll, you are insane. Yeah, I just figured I would just sit one Catapult Troll on either side of a depressingly small line for 750 points, and I would just, just deliver a barrage upon the enemy. And if they, if they you know, get too close, I will just, you know, move them up, start barging, start shepherding, and just... Do some interesting things there, or I could just line them up on each flank of the enemy as they move to engage mine, and just hurl all the way across the line with their, you know, effective strength ten. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Yeah, Kylie, what do you think? Do you? I know we you don't like siege weapons that uh, much. What about the trolls? Uh, I'm not a fan. Uh, not a fan, but that's through principle. Right. Not, not because I don't think it's competitive. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that this army can move and kite with a catapult and having two means you can pretty, knock it, pretty much knock out any other uh, army's uh, artillery before, uh, before kind of things get going. So I suppose that there is that. Um on a competitive standpoint, I think the, the 26 models is really going to hurt you. 
I, I yeah. would like to see. I'd like to see a few more models in there. I'm not sure how you'd get them in. At that point, you're probably going to have to drop a catapult troll to get more guys. But the two catapult trolls is what kind of makes it. So it's it's a tricky one. I don't mind it. I would love to see it have a go competitively on a table. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I hate it on principle. <laughs> B minus. B minus. I'm giving it a B minus. Oh, we've got we've got grades this time. Well, I'm happy to... with that. I've I've got worse grades. Um, <laughs> so I was just going to say it's it's kind of in the list building. It was a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I did think about you know how would I get a third warband into this, and then it occurred to me it's like oh gosh, I really wouldn't. I actually need some things that are going to be able to move, going to be able to grab objectives. So I you know made some space for the warbats. And... Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's like 750 points is, I know it's a very, very common points level, but I don't know if it lends itself to the two catapult trolls. I think that's uh, potentially quite devastating, but also very reliant on whether you can get some hits and whether Mm. you can withstand a charge. Uh, I feel like at a thousand points, if you put in something like a bulk for that, that 180 point mark and then had another seven or eight guys in there or went something cheap as well, like make maybe maybe swap one of the captains for Bolg and then go for some Goblin Mercs might uh, help you out in that way as well. Like I feel like you might be able to mitigate it a little bit and still be able to go in a, play in a similar way. Yeah, I can definitely see the um, the Goblin Mercs helping out because they could just um they could just jump out and ambush and just keep my opponent in a single spot while my catapult trolls got sort of revved up to fire. Yeah, mm. I I like this list because it counters a lot of the other siege lists, and that's kind of its defining quality. I, I guess you could say is that it, it, it counters those kind of lists pretty hard. But as Jeremy said, like the biggest downside is that you can you, players can smash through this list with just straight up infantry, pretty pretty dark, like just burning out straight through the infantry pretty easily and. If you can get a lucky hit off with the catapult troll on a on a key hero, then then you're laughing. I think it probably might do a bit better if you took out the warbats and put in um, berserkers instead. Oh yeah, because that would give you a bit more uh, pump punch and stability in uh in your main line. Yeah, you have to do some some juggling there. It's basically upgrading some of the Gundabad orcs to berserkers and mm-hmm. downgrading some of the bats. But I do think the Berserkers would be just the, the the movement still does the same thing as the bats, but they that fight four is going to be pretty handy on the small base and the and also the, just the courage of the end game because you're probably going to break with this army because you've got small amount of numbers. People are going to go at you. You want to be able to do some big damage with your your trolls and then to be on objectives or to be like doing assassination runs or anything like that that's going to actually get your points. So. Um, I haven't seen the catapult trolls enough to make full judgment on it, but it's. Uh, I think it's got some potential, but I feel like it might be better served at some higher points levels potentially. I can definitely see that. Yeah, this this was really just trying to get two catapult trolls on a list and on you know on the table and um, yeah. doing some damage. So yeah, it's definitely unique. I, I don't think many people would have seen something like this. So some people won't know how to deal with it. That's always good. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So my second list, I've gone for an 800-point army. So I'm going to up you a little bit here. I've got... This is a a classic 800-point type, like, all-rounder army. I've gone for my first warband of Bolg on Falwag with no bow, as I described before in the Nothine. I'm 
I, I'm doing that for my own good. I don't want to be tempted to shoot the bow. It's a good weapon. I don't want to be tempted by it. You will not tempt me, Bog. Then I have <laughs> four berserkers, uh, just a standard one, and two berserkers with two-handed pick, just for, like... You get some extra strength there, but it's also kind of cool to actually use the weapons when you've got the points for them. So it's probably not the, the most competitive option, but it's a good option to have, especially they team up with Bold quite well when you, there's something big you want to take down on a heroic combat or anything like that. You've got three ogres, the rule of three, three ogres following Bold around. Uh, I've made that warband in a particular way because they all move fast. So this is a fast-moving warband. They can be deployed in reserve. They can speed up. They can catch the line. And... Coupling this up, Warband, I've gone for a Gundabad captain with shield with a banner. So the banner with full kit, spear shield, six Gundabad orcs with shield, five Gundabad orc warriors with spear shield. So basically a standard shield wall, not always spear. I've gone for a bit of extra numbers here. And then Warband 3 is similar. It's a Gundabad orc captain with shield, six Gundabad orcs with shield, and five Gundabad orcs with spear shield. No banner this time, so I've only got the single banner. But I've got a decent amount of models. 35 models at 800 points is, is elite level, but I've got elite level hitters. I've got Bolg on a Falwag, three Ogres, and six Berserkers as well, which can do pretty much anything I want them to do. I have seen you run this list before, Jeremy, and it is nasty. Absolutely nasty. I love the three areas. Love just the solid, you know, core of, you know, what is it, 26, sorry, 25 Gundabad uh, Orc Captains and Orc Warriors. They will absolutely hold their own against just about anything whilst uh, Bol comes in on the flank with the uh, the Ogres and the Gundabad Berserkers to absolutely break it up. I think this is probably the best hammer and anvil army you could make with Gundabad. And I would say probably one of the best hammer and anvil, anvil, hammer and anvil armies you could make, period. Yeah, I really do like it. It hits so, so hard. And just the fear factor of Bolg and the Gundabad Berserkers. And the thing is, I can be heavy skirmish because I don't have to commit them early on if I don't want to. There's no reason I have to throw them in as my front line because the Gundabad Orcs are so resilient. Having whatever it is, 25 Gundabad Orcs, in the middle is enough to stall any army that I take on for enough time for Bulk and the Berserkers and the Ogres to get where they want to be. And the thing is, when people have three monsters coming at them, they do silly things. They try to set up in certain ways to try and take down those monsters, and you can often just use one as bait. So I'm a big fan of throwing one in a in a bad position, having the opponent attack them, and then hit them with Bulk and an Ogre the next turn and take them out and swap an Ogre for like a, a Boromir or, or something like that, that that is really, really valuable. Yeah, I really like this list. It reminds me of some that I've written in the past with, um, you know, like Bolg's March from Gundabad. It feels really, really similar, having um, essentially Bolg with the Super War Band of Berserkers. And I'm in my case, I had bats rather than ogres just because I was going pure theme and the ogres were more of a sort of an Azog army thing. But then having the two war bands of Gundabad just to back that up. Or I also I also sometimes wrote it at lower points levels with um, uh, with mercenaries. But yeah, yeah. this is this is really cool. Yeah, mercenaries are a decent option at the lower points level as well. But I, I feel like you need to somehow sneak a banner in no matter what. So if, if you're going the mercenaries, you might take the banner and Bolg's warband because uh, you definitely need something to follow those ogres around because the idea is that the ogres go in and then they get that reroll, which is really, really useful for them. Uh, against like horde armies, this is great because those hurls, they just break them up so well. And once they've been knocked down, the Gundabad orcs love it. Like, like 
Gundam Badorks are, are totally in their element when they're fighting models that are lying on the ground. Uh, you can go... Bold can kill anything pretty much. Like, he's he's good. And the Ogres are, are nice and strong and quick. And the Berserkers are, are so good hitters. But they're also, like... If I need them as, as six objective grabbers, I'll happily use them as six objective grabbers because they'll do that job incredibly well. Their courage is so high that I'm only going to probably lose one of them to a courage test, which is such a dream for an evil army. Plus, the, the added bonus of being move 8-2 means you can do some sneaky things with the uh, with the objectives and, and have them a bit further apart than usual. So that way you can have, you know, one Gundabad on one objective, another Gundabad on another objective, have your third Gundabad sitting in, betu- in between the two. So if someone comes at the middle Gundabad, they can't make it to the other two objectives uh, in one turn, whereas you will be able to. So I really like uh, the fact that you you have some of those little tiny flexibilities that um, in the army that other armies can't really emulate. Yeah, it's it's very different from the other armies, and it's a single minded army because pretty much I'm going to move the Gundabads forward at all times. But when I engage, is totally up to me. So I can move them forward, and I don't have to engage. And if I'm going to play something that's an even better combat army than me, so say I've got, for example, like a like a big fight for two attack line, like a, or with those two attack dwarves. I've got shield walls coming into me. I've got half trolls. I've got uh, anything like that that's really, really big and hitty that I don't want to take on. My Gundabad orcs can just play heavy skirmish and just avoid and give Bolg in the ogres time to go and pick on whatever targets they want. I can make a big circle and spread out and let them run into me and then just disappear. I've got lots and lots of options. So speaking of lots of options, Declan, what have you got in your second army? All right. So, for my second army, I've also gone up to 800 points. All right, so here we are. 800 points. Warband 1. Azog with the White Warg and Heavy Armor. Heavy Armor, I figure, in, in an Azog's Legion army, when he's going to battle, I figure Heavy Armor is pretty much mandatory. And he's leading in his Warband of 17. He's got 7 Gundabad Warriors with Shield, 6 Gundabad Warriors with Spear, 1 Gundabad Warrior with Banner and Shield, and 1 Troll Brute, and 2 Warbats. And in Warband 2, I've got a Gundabad Orc Captain with Shield, 5 Gundabad Orc Warriors with Spear, sorry, Shield, 6 Gundabad Orc Warriors with Spear, and a Gundabad Troll with Scythe Gauntlets. And the idea of this first Warband here is essentially to for Azog to be able to master a battle any heroic moves or anything, so he can get the Troll Brute moving through the lines and also have just a really decent infantry block to be able to protect him. And same in the other Warband with the Troll with the Scythe Gauntlets. I have thoughts about this list, many a thoughts, but I haven't quite formulated them to how I want to actually say them. So why don't you take uh, the lead on this one, Jess? Okay, I'm just going to go from some little micro things first of all. I like your equipment on Azog, so the White Wagon Heavy Armor is a good choice. Yes, you don't have the Flail, but the Flail does cost a huge chunk of points as well. So I can see you cutting that. You don't need it. You definitely want the Wag. You definitely The Heavy Armor, I can see, is a good option. You could be really brave and go without the Heavy Armor, but... He, Azog is your army here. The Gundabad Orcs, you've gone for the, the scenario participants with the shields and then spears. I would possibly consider doing the, the map tactic of shields and spears on at least half of them, if not all of them. So I would consider... Map tactic? <laughs> oh, excuse me, it's not just a map tactic. I would say it's the whole Dream Dragon podcast tactic. <laughs> I find I've kind of... I take offense to it only being a map tactic. <laughs> So, so uh, once again, I recommend the map tactic with that one. I would consider, 
I, I just feel like what you're missing in this army, I really like I like the overall composition, except you need some sort of berserkers somewhere because Courage, other than the Troll Brute and Azog, Courage is an issue throughout the army. So I feel like I would love to to maybe consider dropping those bats down to to berserkers or move some points around to get even just three of them just to 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 get some some ability there because I, I like the I like the double trolls I think that that's a good option I think uh, and that's a good tag team of trolls quite frankly the troll brute and the Gundabad troll together are ones that can support each other really well one's a nightmare for heroes the other one's pretty scary for troops uh, so they're, they're a good combination together. Azog is Azog. He's brilliant on his own. You're on 31 models at 800, which is absolutely elite, but it's enough to do what you want to do. It's not it's not terrible. You've got a limited amount of might, but but you've got Master of Battle and you've got eight points native, so that's not terrible either. You've got the maneuverability. I think it's a pretty decent list overall, but I feel like it's um, a, a few Berserkers are missing, and I feel like those spears are going to be picked on pretty com- comfortably. So I would love to get shields on your spearmen. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can definitely see all of that. One other thing that the list can do, I suppose, is the um, the troll brute and the um, scythe gauntlet troll can get on either side of the you know the the big battle line with the banner behind it and just sort of um, uh, shepherd the enemy. But yeah, I can definitely see what you mean about the um the bez- needing some berserkers and things in there. But um. One thing I do find is that I do like to write for theme a lot, and the army of Azog and the army of Bolg do seem like very separate in terms of their composition. So I always like to write things with Azog, with you know Azog troops like Warbats and um, Troll Brutes, and for Bolg um, put in uh, put in you know the Berserkers there. No problem. I don't the, considering those limitations. I would definitely rejig your spears and shields. Yeah, sure. Definitely, that definitely needs doing. All right. So I've I've had a bit of a think now, and overall, I, I don't mind it. But again, with Jeremy, I think there's a few uh, little improvements that you can make just to get a bit more efficiency out of your list. Uh, definitely uh, agree 100. percent You need shields and those spears if you if you're trying to play competitively. Your spearmen should all have shields. Like it's it's just straight up. That's just what needs to happen. The extra attack from uh, being able to shield is just, it's too important in your ability to actually fight um, in a points match game. That said, I do like uh, how this army could play a shepherding tactic really, really well. Uh, you got Azog there on the 50 mil base with two trolls either side of him or however way you want to mix it up, uh, order. So they can shepherd the Gundabats really well. The issue I have is you don't have stuff to to deal with the stuff peeling around very well. Like Jeremy said, some Berserkers here would have been a much better choice than the Warbats. But if you wanted to go into the Warbats, I think you wanted to get a third Warbat. Remember my rule of three, (laughs) this is another example of where you really need a third Warbat in there just to make sure that you have them active when you need them. Because they are defense four. Yes, they move fast but they can still be sniped off by pesky things like wizards on horses or uh, very accurate bow fire, such as those from a Legolas or a Bard. Yeah, absolutely. I can see why how you know that would be really useful, but um, just looking at it, I can't really see what I would um, you know, drop to get that. I mean, there's a space in Azog's Warband that I could slot one in, but you'd almost be just dropping the banner to put in a Warbat at that point. But... Yeah, that, that's mm. my concern, is yeah. that the bats are pretty expensive. It's... And you don't really want to drop the bats. Like, they're pretty important for the army as well because they're your only movement. So I, I can see both points. If you want to be really, really gutsy, you can drop your heavy armor for a bat. 
Oh, that could work. Actually, it's 10 points, so oh, I'd probably it, have yeah, to... Yeah, that, I'd have to drop and... heavy armor and a couple of warriors in that case. Yeah, but even then, that's that, that's a bit of a concern. Yeah. You, you don't want to drop and, your Gun to Troll down to a brute. Yeah, in that case, I think you're, you're pretty much be dropping the two bats for uh, three, uh, three of the, the Berserker dudes and then use the remaining points to pick up some more... Uh, some more shields for your spearmen. Yeah, I could definitely see that working, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good discussion, good discussion. I think it works. I don't think it's a terrible list. I just, I just so, I've got nightmares about people hitting those spears and then, like, you're trying to form a line with them. They can only get one attack. They can't shield when they're in a bad spot. And they, um, yeah. the strength three fight four guys come in and just start ripping them apart. And you want time. You want time for the brute to do nasty things. You want time for Azog to go kill all the heroes and, and, that's what that's what your Gundabed's job is to do is give time and, and the shield is a time piece. It's it's such a tempo weapon. Yeah, uh, I think um leaving the um shields off the spearmen was purely an oversight issue because I've got them in my um in my other two lists. And I, I actually um the second one the first list I read out was the second one I wrote and I specifically put them on there just so that, you know, while everyone was sitting back with the catapult trolls on either side, they wouldn't get sniped out by elf bows or anything. Yeah. It's a curse of the green dragon. Often without this, we end up with something stupid like a, a warband of six banners or anything like that because we've misclicked <laughs> on our spreadsheet. So, yeah. so you're not the first person to do something like that. I've, I've done that before. I've uh, given some strange op- options to captains and all kinds of things. So yeah. speaking of strange options, my third list, I've tried to go for alliances, but this is a funny list because I don't actually usually want to ally with Azog's legions because I find I've got everything that I want in this list. So I've gone for an ally. I've gone for one of the... the the, the golden triumvirate of the, the green allies. I've gone for Dol Guldur. So my first warband, I've gone for a necromancer, the necromancer, not just a necromancer, which once again we talked about in the last one is actually Sauron. The necromancer of Dol Guldur with one Gundabad Orc warrior with banner, spear, shield, and 10 Gundabad Orc warriors with spear, shield. So this is essentially functioning like a magic user in a gun Azog's Legion warband. So I've got the typical Azog's Legion set up with lots of spear shields, a banner with spear shield, but the Necromancer does all kinds of things at range. And it's also a great hero, a great tank, can fight really well. I've gone for two extra warbands with with the Necromancer's uh, list. So I've gone for the Witch King, the Nazgul or Dol Guldur. So this is a, a wraith that can regenerate, that can, can jump around, can get killed and then come back. And he does it pretty reliably. So he's a good good model there. He's also got the strike, importantly, in this list as well. So he can go hero hunting if I need him to. And I've got for my third warband the Lingering Shadow, which is another Wraith, but he's extra jumpy because he gets to do a three-inch uh, placement move during the, the priority phase, which is fantastic for movement. So that's what deploys on the board. Not many models. I've got the 11 Orcs. I've got the Necromancer. I've got the two Wraiths. They all get put down. They deploy. So some spirits, some Gundabed orcs, some wraiths. And with them, I've got a warband of goblin mercenaries. So goblin mercenary captain and 12 goblin mercs. So 13 guys that, that roll and turn up in terrain somewhere. And then I've got a second warband of goblin mercenaries. Goblin mercenary captain with 11 goblin mercenaries. So I've gone for the big goblin mercenary warbands. So to get my numbers up to 39 models at 750, which is pretty good when you consider I've got the Necromancer, which costs 250 points alone, and I've got a couple wraiths. So there we go. This is a, a list that basically it's going to be a, a deployment denial list. You know what? I love this list just for the, the sheer quirkiness of it. You've got all these models that are going to come in and strike into 
God knows where onto the table. Meanwhile, you got the Necromancer, the Witch King, and the Lingering Shadow, you know, just absolutely messing up your opponent's day. I I love this list just for how quirky and wacky it is. Do I think it's, you know, competitive? I would need to see it on the table first. But uh my 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 inkling would would uh would kind of tell me that you know an opponent who's never seen something like this before is is going to flounder against it. They're not going to know what to do. But an opponent that uh, has a head screwed on tight will uh, be able to form a strategy to actually counteract what's uh, being placed down in front of them. Yeah. Basically, my thoughts are I try to head for terrain ASAP. So the Gundabed Orc Warband, the Necromancer, and those two wraiths jump into some terrain that's hopefully near where everything needs to be and then draw the opponent towards it. And then, surprise! Goblins! <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Lingering Shadow combines really well the Goblin Mercs because he can jump around into those little gaps that they'll create through the terrain. So he adds some real punch to their battle line because he's he's got the Fight 5, which is really useful for a, a basically a Fight 2, Fight 3 warband. But he's also got the Strike as well. So he gives some real hidden power to the Goblins if I need to. The Witch King's also a pretty good Wraith that, that when he dies, he can do that placement as well. So I can end up doing that. I can move my Gundabad or Orcs in. But yeah, can you imagine the the like I set up and suddenly I've got my, my thin wall of Gundabad Orcs. I've got a gap that people can think they can get to the Necromancer and all of a sudden a pile of Goblins just appears right there and the Necromancer can go snipe out a banner or kill a hero or do whatever he likes with a pile of Goblins nearby. I think it's, it's going to be a fun list. Is it the best list ever? Probably not. Speed's probably a bit of an issue. Um, the Lingering Shadow is the only thing that's particularly fast. The Goblins have a fast deployment, but once they're there, they're there. But it's, um, I feel like it's going to be a really fun list to play against and one of those ones that, that you get some really cool stories. Yeah, this is one I'm looking at and I'm trying to think about how I'd beat it and I'm kind of getting sort of to a certain distance with every sort of tactic I can think of and then I'm just starting to you know, draw a blank or run out of options. One thing that I feel like could do uh, well against this is something like the Fellowship or Thorin's Company that has a lot of heroes because I was thinking how would you you know reduce the numbers? You'd sort of have to go with he- if you did tried like a hero burnout or something, but your heroes are so often going to be occupied with the necromancer's magic or with, you know, the two wraiths. So you almost need to, you know, have a couple more that can go in and actually start, you know, killing some, killing some goblins. Otherwise they can be, you know, they can actually be surprisingly good in combat. Yeah. The, um, what you don't want to do is take on like a, a lingering shadow and, um, a goblins while you're transfixed. Because that can be be nasty for any hero, and then the necromancer can hit heroes at range quite comfortably. So something like a fellowship would be would be wanting to get into combat ASAP. But this is like a pretty much an avoidance list, believe it or not, because those Gundabad orcs and the necromancer are going to push forward, get in the necromancer's range, and then run away. And then what they're going to do is run towards different bits of terrain and try and scare the opponent because they know as soon as they get into terrain, the goblins can all come in. And if it's big enough terrain, I can throw all the goblins in there, which could be really nasty. Or like you said before, the goblin tactics, um, they run past the terrain and the goblins all show up directly behind them and then shield them off any objectives. So they have to turn around. They can either chase the necromancer or they can turn around and try and fight through 25 goblins. And, and that can that can be challenging, especially when you've got like Gundabad orcs hitting you from the back. I think that the, actually, I think it's the opposite uh, uh, kind of list that that's uh, going to really push this list. I don't think it's going to be the, the 
your hero kind of kind of uh, deal. I think it's going to be the one with you know good solid troops because mm. uh, if you if you're not having to deal if you're not worrying about your heroes getting knocked out through say like a on mass Urukai wall or some or even something like Fiefdoms that have a lot of uh, innate uh, buffs over their heroes and the heroes don't really have to do much. Uh, they're going to cause this list a lot of grief because their their basic troops are just going to be able to just kill wave after wave of goblin mercenary as they come at them. The one I don't want to face, like Urukai, you mentioned, is going to be really tough. I don't want to face elves because, like, because yeah. terrain. Most of the terrain is probably going to be woods. The elves don't care about that. The elves, uh, yeah, I, my numbers are probably my only advantage at that point because goblins can kill elves pretty well, but the elves can also kill the. The, the Witch King, the Lingering Shadow, pretty well. They have, they'll get through the Gundabads eventually. Like, Gundabads are a good match for Elves because the Elves don't like the defense, but the Gundabads don't like the fight value. So that's that's an interesting combination and, and potentially potentially in my favor a little bit, but not by much. But just the, just the fact that they can get in the terrain that the Goblin Mercs want to get into pretty quickly will cause problems. And if I have some bad board setups, I'm probably going to have some problems as well. Now, I don't have to deploy the Goblin Mercenaries as reserves. So if I get a bad board with only like one option, I'm probably not. I'll probably just go for the Goblin Wall. But at that point, I've got a pretty pretty basic army, quite frankly, with only one banner. If it was a six-inch banner, I could spread out a bit. But because I've got that smaller banner, I have to try and bait them into my Necromancer and Wraith battle line, and then everything else basically hides and goes and gets the traps and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, one thing I can think of to take um, to take this list apart would be the um, if you had some good shooting and you were deployed quite a, quite a ways away, say if you were say if you did have elves and you had you know eleven twelve shots a turn at the um, at the Necromancer's warband, but you had your whole army deployed around you, like do you you know? And you're moving forward at six inches a turn because I don't believe the necromancer has march. No, he doesn't. And I don't do the um do the, either of the wraiths. Uh, no, they don't. Right, right. It's just so the that, captains that do. Yeah, so that's sort of needing to move forward at six inches a turn. You're taking shots and and taking out the um the Gundabads and avoiding the Nazgul Doggle Door because you know they're just going to jump forward six inches the next turn. And then I suppose you're faced with the question, do you bring down the mercenaries or not? Because otherwise they could just be taken apart by the elves before the rest of the army gets there. What I do if I'm taking on a real shooty army is that the Gundabad Orcs go backwards and hide, and then the Necromancer and maybe the Wraiths uh, just march forward on their own. And then the Necromancer walks up to the archers within 12 inches and just like, okay, I'll just pop an archer return. And and let's have a shooting war that way while the Gundabad Orcs are safely behind a wall or something like that, like in support range. And then when they, they, they get scared about that and they start coming at me, then the Necromancer disappears backwards. The Wraiths push forward if I need to screen for a turn. And then the, the Mercenaries and all the Orcs pop out. The problem is that it's going to come down to whether I can roll well on the Courage Test for the Mercenaries. Because a, a tactic like that, you want the Mercenaries held back as long as possible so you can go and intimidate. So you're, you're right. A shooting army would cause me problems. Honestly, especially yeah, if they can if they can whittle down my Gundabads quickly, that's gonna that's gonna cause some issues. I actually I'm probably more scared of someone who's like dedicated just runs at me. So if they run at me, if they get in combat with a necromancer, I think I'm in trouble. Mm. Especially if they can catch you in the open. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's gonna be the thing that worries me. Cavalry, I don't fight for cav will will, will be very scary for this army because I'm basically gonna to have to hug to the terrain, which will then force me to be stationary, and I don't want to be stationary. I want to be dancing around, being spirity and ghosty. Okay, final list, Declan. What do you have for us? All right. So, um, 
Kylie, I believe you mentioned the hammer and the anvil earlier. I was, I you know, toing and froing, wondering what I should bring to the table for the for the final list, and I ended up going for. Um, I started by aiming for a thousand points. That went up to twelve hundred, and then that went up to twelve fifty, and which I think is probably. Oh, no. It seems like a reasonable points level. Um, so I decided to take the signal tower. So to start with, we've got Azog with heavy armor and the signal tower. I didn't give him the white wag, but if you wanted to bump it up to 1300, you could <laughs> you know, very easily do that. <laughs> Just casual 1300 point game. Uh, you've got 10 uh, Gundabad Orc Warriors with shield, 10 Gundabad Orc Warriors with spear and shield, and four ogres. I haven't taken a banner in that warband because obviously I've got the um, the banner that covers the whole battlefield and the signal tower and you know the extra courage and everything good like that. Mm. And then in warband two, I have for some reason only got two warbands in this army. I thought, oh, what can I take with Azog? What can I take with Azog? How about Bolg? So I've got Bolg <laughs> with Felwag, then um, six Gundabad Berserkers, five Berserkers with two-handed pick, just because that's how the um, the points worked out. I could you know easily take some off. It was going to be a detriment or anything. And four warbats. Now I've I have hammer and anvils, as far as I can tell, built into every to so many aspects of this list because you know you've got the gundabads, the big strong line of gundabads, and you've got the ogres. That's hammer and anvil right there. And then, of course, the um, bulk and the gundabads can then come into that in turn as another as another ha- hammer to the anvil. Well, I, I don't feel like this is so much hammer and anvil as hammer and hammer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just smacking either side of your opponent with two hammers. Uh, it's like that and, scene in the opening of the Hobbit where they have the uh, the dwarf forging the metal, and he holds it up between, and the two giant hammers swing down and crush it. That's yeah. exactly that. This 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 just looks like a blast to play. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's just look what I've got. I'm just going to push it forward and smack you with it repeatedly, whilst I have all the buffs in the world. You'll have a laugh playing this. You'll have a ball playing this. I would love to see this placed on the table. Absolutely. And another trick that I came up with, and this made me laugh while I was writing it, um, say you've got an... Are there any, now, I'm not sort of too up with some of the new scenarios or even some of the old scenarios. I'm terrible at remembering them. Uh, but the, are there any that end on break? Uh, there are a few. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. I, I, I see where you're going with this. Yes. And I've I've measured out the base size and everything. And, you know, at the start of a turn, when I want to end the game, where, you know, everything's where it wants to be, Azor can just, you know, be up on the signal tower, he can call out, Ogres, put your best foot forward, and then four Ogres walk forward and crush your entire line of Gundabads. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, I, I love I love that strategy so much. Just, just, just because I have used that strategy before with, like, ring race and stuff, and it is so mm. satisfying in a really sick, twisted sort of sense, <laughs> to go, so evil. you know what? I'm just going to disappear and end the game. And your opponent goes, what? And then suddenly your your ring race disappear in a in a puff of nine black darts, and suddenly you've won the game. The best moment is when, when they're going to realize it, like when the, the second ogre starts running over guys, and they'll go, and they'll do the math in their head and go, oh, Oh crap! <laughs> just, just, yep, push, 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 push. What a terrible way of ending a game, but it, it is, it is funny. 
But not only that, I mean, the ogre, if you're not doing that, the ogres can just go in and do so much and, again, be sort of flanked by the orcs at various points in the line. And then just, you can almost, I almost imagine them forming up in a kind of a horseshoe because you're not worried about where you're placing your banners because, you know, horseshoes can be, you know, tricky for banners because you almost want them in the center. And that's a really bad place to mm. put a banner. But um, you can almost have like a, a horseshoe with ogres placed equidistantly and then just, and then just as the enemy comes at you, that you can just, the ogres can just run in and then just hurl them back across you know, the inside of the horseshoe. This is such a scary skirmish line because you've got banner support for every single thing. So mm. even the Gundabad Orcs, like normally you keep them together as close as possible so you can get the maximized banner effect. But the fact that you could spread them out and then you could just run Bolg, Azog, or Ogres, or even Berserkers through any of the holes as soon as people engage mean that, that there's nowhere that people want to engage this army. It's it's really quite scary. And I feel like the place in the signal tower could be really amusing where you put that and, and have those seven lieutenants there. Seven lieutenants is still pretty decent. And imagine them just a few of them ducking out and calling heroic combats with ogres and things like that. Could be could be a nasty surprise. And this list feels so thematic as well. When I was writing it, I just thought, okay, I really want to have it as the Battle of the Five Armies. Azog, you know, brings in his forces. He brings in his orcs. He brings in his... He's atop a signal tower. He brings in the ogres. And then later on, Bol comes in with his fast-moving things to help out. Yeah, absolutely. You've got 41 models, which is not a huge amount in terms of actual models. But like we were talking about this before in a previous episode, Kylie, that, that the more points you get, the, the, the ratio sort of drops because everyone does lists like this. They want all the toys. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world because it's it's basically... It turns into almost heroes on heroes. And the, the troops are there just to to block space essentially like it's no longer yeah you're no longer playing hordes of troops because the heroes will take him out because you can get a horde of heroes yeah pretty much and that, that's pretty much what every single thousand point game i've ever played has been like it's it's just been hey look i've got this weird wacky combination of heroes and oh look you've also got a weird wacky combination of heroes let's see what happens when we throw these two weird wacky combinations of heroes at each other and uh, see what happens now that you mentioned that, I'm almost imagining this could be a scenario where you, in a twelve fifty point game, where you take the um the armored Thorns company at a thousand points and then just drop in two hundred and fifty points of Iron Hills Dwarves behind them. Amazing, yeah, absolutely. Why add in two hundred and fifty points of Iron Hills Dwarves? Just throw Dane in there. <laughs> it's true, yeah, yeah. That that's actually just as cool. Yeah, okay. Dane and Bilbo. There you go. There, there's 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 fifty. Oh, so many ideas. These episodes get me too excited. <laughs> uh, all, all good fun. No, I like that list. I think we've got some good lists. I think it's if you're if you're making sure that you maximize your Gundabad uh warriors in the Azog's Legion list, I feel it's pretty hard to make a terrible list. I think you've got to you've got to have some options and you, you, if you take a bit of everything you're okay. But uh, it's a it's a pretty forgiving in terms of list design type army where you you throw the guys in, and they all pretty much do a job. Uh, I think if you get too cute and take like one of everything, then you're in trouble. But if you take focus on and take take a few of each, you're, you're doing pretty well, as we can see in these lists. So that was our mustering an army. If you're not excited to play Azog's Legions now, I don't know what's going to get you excited to play Azog's Legions. Maybe some more scenarios. But Declan, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed chatting to you about it, and I can't wait to see your boards, make sure they all get finished and the photos of how they're going. It's kind of cool you've been playing the scenarios on your own as well, and I wouldn't mind if you, um, if you could post up some reports of that maybe or something like that, just some stories to see how it goes, because I found that really interesting. Uh, Kylie, thanks again for being on. 
you know it. I might say, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This is this is kind of a dream because I've been I've been listening to this podcast for you know almost six years now, and it's just it was just such a brilliant resource all the way through. Um, you know, from when we weren't getting much support from Games Workshop to when you know the support was coming in, and you guys were you know reviewing the books and getting all excited about them, and just yeah, it's my number one go to every time I've paint I've been painting, and I mean, you guys, you've both been such such inspirations. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the kind words, Declan. Yeah, I like getting guests on when they go in the shower as we praise. It's really good. So uh, <laughs> we didn't make Declan say that. We promise. <laughs> Thanks so much for that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So, Kylie, with that, should we sign off? I think we should. I think we most certainly can. And remember, folks, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener. Until we meet again.